0: This episode, Justice League International, number 24. Cover dated February 1989. and welcome to the 24th episode of Justice League International Blah Ha Ha Podcast. A proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Folks, my name is the Irredeemable Shag, and I am your host. But guess what? I have brought along a friend. In fact, each episode, I bring a different guest host to help me tackle an issue of the JLI. My co-host today is someone special. He's, uh, he's the smartest guy in podcasting. And you ask, why is he the smartest guy in podcasting? Because he's a professional guest and doesn't have a podcast of his own. That means he never has to do any of the time consuming editing that's such a pain. Curse you, sir. Uh, he's also an authority on fictional DC Universe sports teams, and I can personally attest that he's a grumpy old curmudgeon. Folks, please help lawn. me. Well, what are you saying? I like, get off my lawn. <laughs> Hey, folks, please help me welcome Mr. Keith G. Baker. Welcome to the Embassy, Keith. Thanks for being here, buddy.
1: Yay!
0: <laughs> I do that in, in post, you moron. Oh, gotcha. How's it going, man? Doing real good. I'm glad to finally have you on the show.
1: Yeah, I know. I know. I'm know. i glad we finally get a chance to talk in person. Yeah, I've, I've always
0: wondered what you sounded like. Oh, you're so full of crap. We were together less than a month ago, you <laughs> turd.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I thought we were playing a part here. Okay. Right.
0: <laughs> folks, Keith and I go way back. And when I mean way back, we go back to the trenches. We both came and met in the trenches of hell known as the DC message boards in the 1990, uh, early 2000s, to be exact. We met in 2003 on the Firestorm board of DC message boards. Remember that? It was a wretched hive of scum and villainy, that place.
1: I do, I do. I, we may have gone back further to before they had a Firestorm board when we were just had a corner of the Justice League board. We,
0: I think we had a thread, didn't we? Yeah, we had yeah. a
1: thread. I know that, I think, uh, Roy Cleary, who was known as Charlemagne then, was on that thread and someone named Rick Shaw won. I don't know if his name was actually Rick Shaw or if he pulled a cart around town or what the deal was. But
0: <laughs> well, you were Buddy Baker. I remember that.
1: Yes, that was me because I was. I really enjoyed the Morrison Animal Man. You know, from a few years before.
0: Such a great series. Oh yeah,
1: it, it was great. Back when comics were good, man, it was great. <laughs>
0: So Keith and I, we met on the boards. Then Keith started a Firestorm website, the first Firestorm website I had ever seen. I lost my mind. What was it called? It was called
1: the Nuclear Fan. Which I'll say it again for you. It's Nuclear Fan. So
0: oh, is that how you say that word? That is how you say it. Wasn't it like GeoCities or Angel Fire or something? What was it on? I believe it was a G- GeoCities site. <laughs> yeah, it,
1: it, whichever one had the most pop-up ads was the one that was on <laughs> right?
0: That'll take some people back. Oh, my gosh. I used to use Lycos to find to, to search your website, I'm sure.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, b- I believe I opened it. I didn't have an AOL account, but I believe I had... Oh, God, what was it after
0: AOL? CompuServe? No, Geo? it wasn't CompuServe. Netscape, maybe? I don't oh, know. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so Keith and I meet. He has this Firestorm website. I get so excited. I, I reach out to him. I want to be part of anything to do with Firestorm at the time. Also, I didn't know where it would lead me in life to this nonsense, but I even offered to do some graphics for you for the website and I remember I bugged you enough where we got on the phone we had a phone call in 2003 or 4 and I had to get a translator because of your thick southern accent (laughs) just to understand what the hell you were saying
1: (laughs) well you know first you had to to call the uh, local operator and get them to actually connect you to me Could you put me through to the Baker Bunker 6424? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You so ba- Baker 55 five or something like that.
0: Right, exactly. So, And then from there, we got to know each other online through the Firestorm Fan and then through Fire and Water. We've now hung out and gone to conventions together. We've had meals together. I've, I've met your family. It's been a sick, twisted path we've been on, sir, that have all led to this moment. Oh, yeah. Yeah,
1: it was very sick when you met my family. They're still not over it. <laughs>
0: Your wife seemed to think I was one of the nicer people in the bunch, I think. I fell back because she fell down and got injured, and I was there for her. You you were nowhere. You were off at the convention goofing around.
1: You have to realize that this woman married me, so her judgment of people is kind of suspect. So.
0: <laughs> so very true. So very true. So, as I said, folks, Keith is a extreme curmudgeon, as you heard him tell us, to get off his lawn already. Now, one other thing Keith is a bit of an expert in, and this is interesting, is in DC Comics, they have a... A uh, interesting habit of creating fictional sports teams, and they just make them just for fun. Well, there is one weirdo who actually documents this stuff.
1: <laughs> I would be that weirdo. That's why I'm a, a self-professed expert at it, but not really. I'm still collecting data. Basically, is the stage that I'm at. I've been at that same stage for several years now.
0: But give me a ballpark here. I mean, you know, like how many different sports teams are there with DC? Well, let's see. Which sport are you talking about? Because
1: I have different spreadsheets for. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have spreadsheets, man. So uh, yeah. that's how bad this sickness goes. Look, you have to realize in the world of comics, at least the comic collectors, and see, I even say collectors. We're not readers. We were collectors when, when it came along. We were, had a certain amount of OCD involved with us. You know, when I start seeing, say, like the Metropolis Mammoths hockey team appear in a comic, and I see them appear again in a different comic, makes me wonder, well, you know, how would that hockey team fit in in 1980? with the current NHL at the time, where would they be? You know, luckily Paul Kupperberg helped us out a lot in in yes in that famous book that he did. Uh,
0: what it's called, Atlas of the DC Universe, and it was published for the Mayfair DC Heroes role playing game. And I still have it on my shelf as, in, in a sense, almost like a reference book, like an encyclopedia. That's how good that book is.
1: Exactly. When I stumbled upon that, I never really knew where this madness came from because you know I would always jot things down. You know, what issue uh, a certain team appeared in because it just kind of fascinated me. Being, You know, I grew up a sports fan as well as a comic fan, which is kind of a strange uh, Bigfoot
0: in the area of comic comic fans. <laughs> yeah, most of us don't know what the sports ball is. Absolutely.
1: Exactly. But see, you know, I played all three of the major sports, you know, baseball, football, basketball, because I wasn't Canadian, I didn't play hockey. <laughs> And, you know, and because I
0: actually made the football team, I didn't play soccer. You, you made the football team? It was like, what, the, the little stand that the ball sits on? You're like two
1: feet tall. Look, man, I played football all the way through middle school. And then when I got to high school, I played it for a hot minute. <laughs> I realized that everybody else was growing it and I had stopped.
0: <laughs> yes, you did, yeah, sir. So yes, you I, did. I
1: realized it when I was trying out and uh, they wanted me to try out to be a, a receiver because I was used to playing tight end. And they consistently threw the ball over my head like a foot over my head. (laughs) So that's when I realized I was a better fan at that point than anything. The last thing I stopped playing was baseball because, okay. you know, short people can still play baseball, but then I realized I was too, I was too lazy to continue with it.
0: A true comics fan at heart. There exactly.
1: we go. Exactly. So now, you know, I was a sports fan and a comics fan, but like I said, these things stayed in the back of my mind. And when I read Kuppelberg's book, he actually broke it down by league and by division and where the uh, Gotham Wildcats football team, What you know, they were in which conference they were in in the NFL and all that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm going to blame Kupperberg for my
0: mad, mad spreadsheet that I have going now. Uh, you know, I was going to say, you know you could put them all on, on one tab and just use filters or something, like have a field for the sport and filters. That that could work too.
1: No, nah, I have a tab for baseball, one for football, basketball, and hockey. And, and then I have another tab where I started doing college teams and another tab for high school teams. And then I have another one for miscellaneous sports that I really don't care about. Like soccer or highlight teams, (laughs) that was a big thing in the '80s. In some of those books,
0: not fastball? Wasn't that the Justice League villain from the highlight? Exactly, highlight man. So, (laughs) oh my gosh. Okay, so this this spreadsheet is it just like the holy grail that no one has ever seen, or do you keep it? You know, is it locked in a vault and on your hard drive, or what's the story here? No,
1: actually, when we were in Baltimore, Derek Crab asked to take a look at it, and I was like, I was like, okay, man, I'll I'll send it to you. So I sent it to him, and I have. heard anything from him. I'm going to say that maybe they stuck him in an institution somewhere on the West Coast (laughs) because I never heard back from him after I I sent it to him. I I think it was too maddening for him.
0: Well, thanks for that. He's scheduled to be on an upcoming episode soon, so I really appreciate the hole in the schedule. Thanks, Keith. Yeah, well, you know, I can always come back. Uh, that's probably not going to happen, but anyway. Oh, well. (laughs) Well, before we get too much further, because this whole road is leading to madness, I think, we should probably take a second to thank our Sponsor. This episode of the JLI Podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. I hate you so much. Uh, Instock trades, it, not InStockTrades, I'm sorry. I hate you, Keith. InStockTrades, I love you. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. Each episode, we select a collected edition to briefly discuss from the InStockTrades library. Usually, it's tied to this month's JLI issue in some way, shape, or form. My pick is a little unusual this time, um, but it is is uh, near and dear to my heart, I picked Firestorm, the Nuclear Man United We Fall trade paperback because I love me some Firestorm. Keith and I met through Firestorm. That's what started our bromance, and Firestorm does appear in this issue, which, by the way, is the whole reason Keith got invited for this issue. So, in this particular trade paperback, it's not uh, its not from too long ago. It's when they did the Legends of Tomorrow miniseries, they issued the one through six giant bumper books, and it was uh, the big return of Jerry Conway to Firestorm. Essentially, what he did was the series starts, and Firestorm is is Jason Rush and Ronnie Raymond. By the end, he resets continuity so that Firestorm is back to the sort of the iconic version. It's Ronnie Raymond with Professor Stein advising him. And he also found a clever way to keep Jason around in the book. So it was kind of a win-win for everybody. So this collects all the Firestorm stories from that miniseries. Written by Jerry Conway, art by Eduardo Panseca, and cover art by Carrie Nord. It's 144 pages. It's full color. It normally retails for $14.99, but you can get it on in-stock trades for only $8.69. That's a 42% off discount. That is pretty Pretty darn cool. Now, Keith, all the cool kids that have been on the show have brought an in stock trades recommendation. You didn't have to, but, and quite frankly, I'd be surprised if you did because you're not very, you know, hip. But if you did, that would be nice to put that in right here. What do you think, buddy?
1: Oh, yeah. I'm the hippest of the hip because I'm going with a Marvel book on this. Because that makes sense. Okay. Because I think that's what all the cool kids are doing these days are, are making theirs Marvel. So. <laughs> 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 what I have is, and you'll you'll see how this is related to your pick also and also to this story. By hopefully you'll get it. I don't know. You're not you're not the sharpest crayon in the box, so we'll see what happens.
0: Well, if you ever get around to telling us what it is, I might.
1: Okay, well, here we go. What I have is a trade paperback, it's called Avengers Legacy of Thanos. So basically, what this is is it collects the Avengers uh 255 through 261 and annual number 14, as well as Fantastic Four annual number 19. And in this trade Paperback, you have uh, Monica Rambo, the new Captain Marvel, actually, now the old Captain Marvel, but I think she was the best Captain Marvel, uh, at least as far as Marvel goes. And I'm going to say Marvel a few more times.
0: I was wondering about that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it has to do with her leading the Avengers against Thanos. Actually, I think she gets captured at the beginning of it. And then they meet up with them Fantastic Four also. But but all that's beside the point. Nobody cares that Thanos was in a movie. Nobody cares that Captain Marvel is a movie coming up also in the MCU. What we're talking about is, yes, we're talking about Fire Lord. Because Fire Lord comes, <laughs> comes, comes into this story. He's, he's one of Galactus' heralds. And he shows up in here. And one of the covers uh, from Avengers 258 has always stuck with me because basically, what they did is is on the cover, you see Fire Lord and you see the Avengers get ready to attack him. And it says, The Fury of Fire Lord. And even I knew way back then as a kid that they were trying to steal something from our favorite, favorite matchhead.
0: I mean, that's true. I wonder who did this cover because, you know, Al Milgram drew a lot of Marvel. So if Al Milgram drew this cover, that would be even funnier.
1: I'm thinking this one was a- actually John Buscema. I believe Oh, okay, okay. I believe yep, I can he, see that. Because I know that he drew he drew those issues of of the Avengers, but uh, you know, I'll, I'll get back into the uh, in stock trade. Basically, the publisher is Marvel, of course. The writer uh, of these books are Roger Stern and John Byrne. John Byrne I think did the Fantastic Four. And then the artist is John Buscema and John Byrne because John Byrne does John Byrne better than anybody does Byrne. Um <laughs> Actually, the cover artist is Kerry Gamble.
0: Well, that's of the trade, not necessarily this particular Oh, issue. no,
1: that's the cover artist of the, uh, of the trade paperback. Sorry about that. Page count is uh, 256 pages, and it's in color. Uh, it was thirty four ninety nine, but with in-stock trades, you can get it for twenty twenty nine. and you say 42%. So, you know, I don't pick those cheap books. I get the expensive stuff. Give in-stock
0: trades some money. Well, it's Roger Stern and John Byrne telling Marvel stories, so there's nothing wrong with that. There's a reason the price tag's on there. It's worth it. Uh, folks, for these and all your trade paperback needs, please visit instocktrades.com. All right, folks. Well, we are going to get into this issue in just a moment here, but we want to hear from you. We want you to be part of this discussion. Uh, and this is an anniversary issue, so you know it's like a big birthday for the book. So we want to hear your celebrations and your parties for the two-year anniversary of the JLI. So go out to the interwebs, use the hashtag PoundFWPodcast, or tag us, which is even better. On Twitter, it's JLI Podcast. On Facebook, it's Justice League International Blah Ha Ha Podcast. The whole point of this is to build a community of JLI fans around this show, to rally together and show our support for this book. And and, quite frankly, just grow the community of friends and family. So, we'd love to hear from you. Now, we are going to get into the part of the show that, quite frankly, barely keeps me awake. It is a chat with a guest where we let Keith drone on for a while. Oh, goodness. I apologize to all of you at home for this. So, Keith, I'm going to ask you the questions I ask all of my guests, which is, what is your personal origin story for the JLI? How did you discover the book? And why, Keith, was this the single most important comic book series to you when you were reading it when it was on the stands and being published? Because I'm sure you it. Loved this thing. So tell me, Keith, tell me all about your love for the JLI.
1: Well, Shaq, I hated this book when it came out. I know we've talked about this before, but just to give a quick background, I learned how to read on DC Comics. Uh, some of it was Marvel. The Marvel that I read was just the Hulk and Thor and things that smash stuff. But but actually reading and getting into stories was DC Comics. I think that even though we're close to the same age, I think I, think I had a, almost a decade on you of reading DC Comics before you jumped in feet first to all of DC Continuity. I, I grew up knowing what parallel worlds were, had no problems with it. And then Marv Wolfman gets a letter from from somebody and says, that for some reason, that dumbass can't understand what parallel worlds are. So they decided to do Crisis, which screwed up everything.
0: I think what you meant to say was he created an awesome six foot poster that's hanging on my wall that I'm are looking at right now. Is that what you meant to say?
1: Well, look, man, just because somebody's beautiful and sexy doesn't mean that you want to spend the rest of your life with them. Well, you want to spend the rest of your life with me. So I'm just saying. You are beautiful and sexy, but you know I don't. I can only take you in in short lumps. You know? <laughs> but no, no. Seriously, I. You know, hate is a strong word. I, I. I would just say I was disappointed. And actually, looking at comics these days, this is really a, a gold standard book. But but just to run through the timeline of events uh, with you, which I call a timeline of chain yanking by DC Comics or. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Or we're going to do this stuff from now on and call it an event every time we do it. But, you know, okay, I'm 13 years old when Crisis on Infinite Earths end. They killed a couple of my favorite characters, uh, Supergirl and Barry Allen. But it was a great read. At that point in time, I'd read enough DC Comics to know that in a couple months, everything's going to go back to the status quo. It'll all be good. And pretty soon, you know, the JSA and JLA are going to be meeting in their satellite and having things dinner together and it's gonna be like nothing ever happened. Mm-hmm. But... <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, I think Crisis did so well that they decided to start doing events all the freaking time. But what they did is, okay. so the next year, Byrne did his reboot of Superman with Man of Steel. That was the summer of 86. And then after that, they they decided, well, we're going to write the actual history of the DCU. And they did that in that two-parter. And that was that was in November of 86. Right. And just so you know, you're always wondering when Mr. Miracle joined the Justice League, he joined in the history history of the DCU, because that's the first time you see JLI, I believe. Oh. Mr. Miracle is pictured with them in in that. So I I think he kind of, unless there's another another story somewhere. But so also around this time, you know, the end of the year, they killed off Justice League Detroit, thank God, finally. So... (laughs) So everything is moving toward the original Justice League coming back. Uh, Pretty soon Ralph's going to be on monitor duty and Green Arrow's going to be cussing out Hawkman and everything will be great, right? At least in my, you know, 14-year-old mind at the time, things were going to get stable, you know, and when you're a teenager, you want things to be stable. So eventually, you know, January of 87 was when Legends ends. I'm 15 by then, and they're starting the new Superman title. So Legends ends, and it's kind of like, well, let's see what's going on. so they rebooted Superman right so they're making him younger so maybe they're just going to from this point forward start retelling the Justice League stories you know I, I'm guessing after Legends ends there was going to be a Starro battle where where the original Justice League gets back together and they're just going to reboot it from 1987 instead of from back in the 60s with the Brave and Bold issue right <laughs> that's what me and my friends are thinking we're thinking yeah th- you know this, this should be just fine so February of 87 the JLA is back, but not really. Who the hell are they, all these guys? You know, I kind of recognize some of them, a couple of them from Crisis. For some reason, they have a new god in there, and they have Guy Gardner as, as the Green Lantern, which was just weird. And <laughs> also, at the same time, they're doing the Wonder Woman reboot. Well, now, all of a sudden, she's just gotten to America, just gotten a man's world, but she's not a Justice League founder. You know, you're thinking to yourself, what the hell? Because that's not really how they portrayed it in the history of the DCU which was supposed to be definitive now. They didn't say anything about it, but if you look in the history of the DCU, Superman and Wonder Woman are missing from that Justice League of America, you know, little picture that they do, but nobody really really thought anything of that. You just figured, you know, they had their own pages in that that book. Everything was pointing toward the original seven starting, you know, after Legends, and maybe they'd throw in Shazam, who knows? (laughs) So anyway, I'll try and speed this up because this isn't really a Batgirl to Oracle show. So I don't want it last three hours. ouch. <laughs> <laughs> I had to throw in something because she started calling me Grunkle Keith.
0: But it's so fitting. It's so fitting.
1: It is. It is. But anyway, JLA had started by this time. So around the uh, 90s, I just quit reading comics at the time. And that's a discussion for another time. But when Morrison's JLA started, Mm -hmm. because I would still go by the comic shop and just look around, but I would never buy anything. But I saw a poster for that and it looked like they were bringing the Magnificent Seven back. And in fact, in fact, for a little while, I just thought that Hal Jordan got a new costume. (laughs) (laughs) You thought Kyle Rayner was
0: Hal Jordan with a new costume?
1: He was a a dark-headed Green Lantern. Who else is going to be Green Lantern other than Hal Jordan? You know, it just makes sense.
0: The amazing Kyle Rayner, that's who. Yeah,
1: well, that's also a discussion for another time. But, you know, I'm sitting there looking at it. I'm like, well, hell, I'm going to pick this up. So I was around my mid-20s around then, I believe. Or or at least I'll tell you that. (laughs) You know, I around that time that that started I got back into comics I reread all of the JLA up till then from when I had stopped which was probably around breakdowns Uh or maybe a little bit before breakdowns I I don't know uh, exactly the time. But I read that, Flash, and, and Green Lantern, and I caught up to everything up around the time with the Morrison's JLA was going. And I realized a lot of things. You know, I appreciated uh, JLI for what it was. I still didn't think that it was the Justice League that I knew and loved, but I knew it was a story and I knew that they were trying to be funny and I just went with it, right? And I, I was mm-hmm. like, okay, yeah, that's a story. It's fine. Another thing I re- realized was the, the 90s sucked a lot more than a
0: lot of you people remember, but um, oh my gosh Dude man, I mean the 90s everyone says the 90s sucks. It is such a bad rap. There's so much good stuff from DC in the 90s. Look,
1: if it walks like a duck and talks like a duck and everyone says the 90s suck it
0: I bet you it quacks and it sucks. <sighs> All right. As you said, it's a discussion for another time. Right. Yeah, exactly.
1: So, But anyway, about 10 years ago, when I was in my mid-30s, I I reread JLI or again.
0: So, a third time. You know, for the third time, and I started with Legends. W- were you able to figure out the words this time? Because before, you're probably just looking at the pictures.
1: There's some gorgeous pictures, especially, especially when McGuire's drawing fire. But, you know... it's <laughs> <laughs> so I reread it again, and I absolutely loved it. I don't. I, I guess it took. There you go. I, I guess it took until I got to my mid thirties for me to for me to just really appreciate the the art and the writing and everything. Just you know, I mean, it it just comes together so well. It's 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 better than anything that's been written since then, I, I think. I, and it's just uh, yeah, it's wonderful. So it took me, took me, you know, twenty years, thirty years, however long it took. But uh, you know,
0: it felt like that story took twenty or thirty years too. Actually, so that works out. Well, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so after finishing rereading these three times, uh, who are some of your favorite characters from the JLI? Now, if you could, if you could keep it to three, I would appreciate it. Now, in North Carolina, I don't know if you folks know how to count, so we'll see how you do.
1: Well, yeah, you say to keep it to three, but he- here's my list. <laughs> so I look at everything in threes, man. And so I look at it, you know, you could always say Booster Beetle and Martian Manhunter are the three stooges of, of the group, you know, with Martian Manhunter playing the straight guy. Sure. You know, that that's the easy answer. When I reread it, I really came to appreciate Guy. And, yeah. and he's such an ass, but as a foil for everybody else to focus on, I, I couldn't think of a, a better character or a better way to represent him. And there are very few. Uh, Robert Vendetti. In, in the more recent books got a real handle on him also. But other other than him, these guys in, in jail, I really got guy. Let's see if, does Justice leave Europe count at this point? Of course. Because if it does, uh, you know, maybe I'd choose Metamorpho or Buddy Baker. Mm. But uh, Buddy didn't hang around long enough. He he really had some great issues, like I think coming up when he moves into his house and gets the transporter tube and all that <laughs> yeah. stuff. Yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's really some good stuff. And Metamorpho's always been that type of character where he's just rough around the edges and has some humor. He's kind of a Ben Grimm type character, which I've always, mm-hmm. which I've always gravitated toward. But really my actual favorite, we're probably going to going to talk about in this and and that would be the triumvirate of Max and Oberon and Martian Manhunter, who are the three that really run this whole uh-huh. team. Okay. And I really never appreciated Max until he was gone, and by gone, I mean all that crap that happened, uh, you know, few years ago. But they, they never published anything with Max after 2004, did they? Exactly. That, and that's what I'm talking about. But you look back on it and and really between him guiding the ship and Oberon being the mother hen of the entire group and then John being the guy that handled them when they were out in the field. I mean, the three of them ran the Justice League and I can see no reason why if they were to redo something like this, why those three wouldn't be brought
0: back and put in the same roles. I like that. In fact, this issue was have a moment with the three of them having a talk like that. So that's pretty fitting. That's nice. I mean, you only named eight characters. I asked for three. That's great. I like your picks, especially the Max and Oberon and Marsh Manor. That's really good choices. And Matt, you know, I'll save it, but I've got a lot to say about Max with this issue especially. So that's that's good choices, sir. Well done. Well done. Thank you. Only took three reads in 30 years to figure that out. I'm impressed. (laughs) All right, folks. And speaking of reading comics multiple times, we're going to move on to our next segment, something I like to call Monitor Duty. And folks, I'm sad to say, this is the last time we'll be doing the Monitor Duty segment. As we discussed in previous episodes, when we move on to the next round of books, where we start covering two issues a month, we had to jettison a few things, and so this will be the end of the Monitor Duty. So, everyone, hold it close to your heart, and remember it fondly, and just realize, you can go on the interweb and look this crap up yourself, people. Oh my gosh, I don't have to do all of it for you. <sighs> anyway, folks, what this segment is about is we're going to discuss comics that were on the shelves the same month as this issue that featured other JLI members. This particular issue was on sale December 13th, 1988. Our thanks to Mike's Amazing World of Comics for that information. And uh, if you want, by the way, if you want to do monitor Duty on your own, you go out to the Mike's Amazing World of Comics, go to the newsstand feature, look up the month this comic was on the shelves, boom! You can see every other comic goes on the shelves, and you'll get lost there. It's so much fun. It's so much fun being on that site. Anyway, getting into this, folks, let's let's touch on some of the books. First off, the most important one probably on the shelves at this point, would have been in December 1988, was Invasion Number. 3. Now, of course, written by Keith Giffen uh, and Bill Mantlo, on this issue by Bart Sears. You know, it's a major, major DC crossover, an event that my friend Keith likes to talk so much about. And this month, with issue number 3, it does conclude, and it impacts the JLI in a major, major way. And um, the JLI are featured throughout the book as well. So, for more on DC's Invasion, uh, the crossover event, please check out our network's podcast, First Strike Invasion, which actually just wrapped up with its final episode. They've covered the entire Invasion saga. It's amazing. And the past guest of the show... Of this show, Ciscoid, is one of the hosts there, and he does that with his buddy Boss. That's such a great show. I enjoyed it. It's a wonderful show, it really is. Up next, then let's talk about Captain Adam number twenty-five by Carrie Bates, Greg Weissman, and Pat Broderick. It was an invasion tie-in, and that one, Captain Adam and the heroes who fought in the invasion are awarded medals by President Reagan. Meanwhile, Yay. Major Force <laughs> Meanwhile, Major Force <laughs> is acting immature, and Captain Adam has to play babysitter. Now, for more on Captain Adam, check out Jay Jones' coverage on the Silver and Gold Podcast and the Splitting Adams blog. And Jay is a past guest of this show. And I might just be talking about some Captain Atom in the near future. Hmm, keep your ears peeled, folks. And uh, now you you wanted to mention something, right, Keith? Oh, well, I definitely wanted to
1: mention Phantom Lady's outfit in Action Comics Weekly because uh, three issues came out, I think, in that month. Although there were supposed to be four. You know, you know how comics works. Action Comics Weekly had its ups and downs. A lot of it was downs. But, <laughs> you know, where else do you get to see Phantom Lady and Wild Dog? in the same comic dude I mean oh my gosh Wild Dog? Yes, Wild Dog, man. <laughs> wild Dog, yes, it should have ended after the after the miniseries. You know, there was just something about him, man, that he was very 80s. It's
0: because he's wearing sports jerseys. That's why you like him. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Then we had also on the shelves Batman number 430 by Jim Starlin and Jim Aparo. Death in the family is over, but the series has to keep going. Well, uh, in this one, well, Batman's trying to stop a sniper. He was reminded of a time when he was younger and his father struck him and the consequences of that unintended action Ooh. And over in detective comics. Number five ninety six, John Wagner, Alan Grant and guest artist, Eduardo Barreto. In that one, there's a video store owner who hires thugs to beat people up and film the violence. Ooh. Is that not a recent comic? That sounds like something that would recently happen. It sounds like it's ripped from the headlines, doesn't it? Yeah. Batman aims to put a stop to this and this hideous, hideous racket he's got going on. So uh, for more on Batman in this era, please check out our network's Batman nightcast by Chris Franklin and Ryan Daly, both past guests of the show. Then, Doctor Fate number 3 by J.M.D. Mateus. Hey, we know that name. And Sean McManus. And in this one, the new Doctor Fate makes a deal with the Lords of Chaos. Both parties want to stop the Lords of Order from ending the universe. da da, da. For more on Doctor Fate, check out the Lords of Order podcast by Ed Moore. And then, Mr. Miracle number 2 was on the shelf, again by J.M.D. Mateus. And art by Ian Gibson. In this one, Mr. Miracle's been captured by Dr. Bedlam's Animates. And while he's struggling to escape, Dr. Bedlam attends a dinner with Bardo. And her neighbors and High Father shows up. Wait, wait, wait,
1: wait, Jack. You cannot continue any longer unless you talk about the Wanderers.
0: Oh my gosh. I have spent most of my life trying not to talk about the Wanderers, Keith.
1: Look, man, this is the point where Wanderers number 10 came out, and okay. we're just two issues away from the dino bird mating issue, so you need to get get on board at this <laughs> point to really get into what the Wanderers were doing at the time. It, it was cutting-edge stuff, man. Um,
0: <laughs> cutting-edge is a description. I'll give you that. So, <laughs> folks, if you don't know what Keith's talking about, you can just Google this. Look up the Wanderers, and yeah, the the bird sex issue. That's not a joke. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Alright, so we are about one month out from the premiere of Justice League Europe at this point, so we should take a second to talk about a couple of those members. What was on the shelf, Keith? Flash 23 was on the
1: stands at the time by William Mesner Loebs and Gordon Purcell. A powerless Wally West has to stop Abracadabra with the help of his friend Chunk and the Golden Age hero, the Clipper. So this is, this is a little bit after the Baron era, so things are starting to pick up in the Flash title at this point.
0: It is beginning of a good era, and this is uh, not too far off from when I started buying The Flash. So yeah, exciting stuff. And then Animal Man. Now, Animal Man didn't have an issue published in December, but I felt like I had to mention it just because I love the character so much. Animal Man! Animal Man! I love that. Uh, So, no issue in December. However, in January, to make up for it, they actually published two issues. And if I remember right, I think it was, uh, one of those was the JLE Transporter issue, which is just freaking brilliant. Absolutely wonderful. Alright, folks. Well, that is a whole bunch of awesome, great comics. we, We say a fond farewell to the Monitor Duty segment. You have served us well, and we will continue forward in your honor, monitor duty, as we move on to covering two issues a month coming up very soon. In the meantime, we are going to take a podcast promo break, and if we're lucky, when we come back, Keith
2: will be gone.
1: Uh Oh.
2: Oh, what? Have you ever wanted to be more than you are? Are you worried your full potential isn't enough? Ever wonder finding that out is worth your soul? Best Event Ever is back for 2018, with DC's 1995 event, Underworld Unleashed. Several blogs and podcasts are coming together to examine the effects these questions have on the heroes and villains of the DC Universe. Join Justice's First Dawn, comic reviews by Walt, Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill, Pop Culture Palace, Diana Prince Wonder Woman, and Between the Pages, among others, as they examine the effects these questions have on characters like Ted Knight, Blue Devil, Sentinel, the Martian Manhunter, and Darkseid. Follow them all using hashtag BestEventEver2018 and hashtag UnderworldReUnleashed across social media all throughout October. Go ahead, blow out that candle. Neron is waiting. Do you think of yourself primarily as a singer or as a poet? I think of myself more as a song and dance man, you know.
0: (laughs) You may call him Alias. You may call him Lucky Wilberry. You
2: may call him Bobby. You may call him Zimmy. But the world calls him Bob Dylan. It's Pod Dylan, the only podcast dedicated to celebrating the work of Bob Dylan.
0: Pod Dylan, hosted by the freewheeling Rob Kelly and a roster of special guests, examines Bob Dylan's discography one song at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, Pod Dylan is available weekly at fireandwaterpodcast.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. All right, folks, we are back, and we are going to dive into Justice League International number 24, the second anniversary issue, bumper length. This is very exciting. Now, if you don't seem to have your copy of this book, or if you just have one of the reprints that don't include the bonus book we're going to talk about, what, what, What? then you can go out to our website, which is fireandwaterpodcast.com, and go to the JLI show, and we will have a gallery post where we will include some of the images from this issue, so you can check them out, and we will include some from the bonus book, which, again, is not reprinted in a lot of places and uh, you can participate in the fun. Let's get into this, Keith. You ready? You buckled in? Oh, well,
1: you're talking about the bonus book. I believe it is included in Comixology.
0: Is it really? Okay, all right. Well, the uh, the digital trade I have, which is Just League International Volume 4, I want to say. I have the digital one in Comixology. It is not in there. But the individual issue may, in fact, have it. That's interesting. All right. Hmm.
1: Yeah, I, I bought the individual issue is what I did. So.
0: Okay. Well, I, I've done that for after issue 36 or whatever. Wherever the trades stop, uh, I've gone ahead and bought all all the issues on digital, so there we go. And, of course, the hard copies I have, because apparently I'm just not responsible with my money. I have to buy them physical and digitally. I don't know what that's about. So we are going to talk about Justice League International number 24.
1: Okay, so correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't your whole network already cover this issue? I mean, think the Canadians did this or something like that. Why not just... (laughs) <laughs> Why not just splice a lot of their crap in here, and then me and you can we can go out for a beer or something?
0: That would be the nice, lazy way to do it, but it's Siskoid and Boss, and those guys are just irresponsible. They're not trustworthy whatsoever. They did cover issue number 24 over on their Invasion podcast, because it did tie in with Invasion somewhat as an aftermath, but... I, you know, if if you've listened to the issue with Siskoid, you know it's just not it's not going to work. I didn't quite
1: understand a lot of it. I think it, it was in French or something, wasn't it?
0: No, it was actually in English. His English is almost perfect. Yours is a complete mess, however, so you probably couldn't understand what he was saying.
1: Yeah, well, that's
0: how it works. I understand. Maybe uh, you and the Duke boys could go out for a beer later, though, to make up for it. How's that sound?
1: Oh, you bet. We're gonna go down to Boss Hogg's place and get some beers and look at some uh, cousin Daisy. <laughs> oh
0: God, <laughs> make it stop. All right, Justice League International number twenty-four from DC Comics, cover date of February nineteen eighty-nine. Cover price a dollar fifty. What? This is a huge book for a
1: dollar fifty. A dollar fifty couldn't even let you sniff a comic today,
0: man. That's true. That's true. But it is twice the amount of money as the previous month's book. So if you were counting your quarters in your pocket while well, you rode your bike to the Jiffy Store, this would have been a hefty sum to pay. However, as you said, yeah, there's a lot of pages in this thing. I mean, it's what fifty-five pages of story.
1: We. Didn't have a jiffy. I don't know what that is, but we had a uh, quick
0: pick at the corner. Okay. <laughs> we call that lo- we call that part of our la- lottery down here. But anyway, so this thing is 55 pages of story. That's before you even get to the ads. So this is a huge length book, just for, like you said, for the fifty. So you're getting almost three comics worth for twice the price. Heck of a deal.
1: It's almost an Invasion number four
0: size. Ah, well, it doesn't have a little square bound, which I always thought was fascinating that they published a, a newsstand comic with square bound. That was so weird. All right. Well, why don't we talk about the cover here? Keith, why don't you describe the cover, to which is drawn by Kevin McGuire and Joe Rubenstein. Why don't you describe the cover to the people at home?
1: Well, essentially what it is, is it's McGuire aping himself, where it, the very first issue of Justice League, the want to make Some something of it episode, which has a guy front and center and everybody staring up at the camera. This is essentially the exact same cover, only with, with more characters in it. A lot of these characters will go on to be in Justice League Europe, and then it has a uh, the other characters that are members at the time and of course it has Guy front and center again as he should be this time though he's saying who let these guys in (laughs) Uh, and he's kind he's kind of looking side-eyed at Wally over there which is kind of funny but yeah it's a beautiful cover you have Dimitri over there in the corner you have Elongated Man in the back and Booster you have Beetle you have Martian Manhunter and Bat and Mr. Miracle then you also have Ice and Fire of course Fire's boobs are prominent at the front of the cover as they also should be so, <laughs> so but then you have these folks who will go into to Justice like League Europe you have Captain Adam and like I said Wally and Metamorpho and Buddy Baker the Animal Man and Power Girl and uh, Wonder Woman and all of them are looking up at the camera the, the background's black this time instead of white like it was on the original cover on the, mm-hmm. re, on the number one cover but it's just the everybody has a different expression on their face and, and it's an expression that fits the characters you have a uh, Batman looking like your father when he comes home and finds out that you went into his wallet or something like that. <laughs> you know, and, and yeah, Beetle looking a little bit disgusted that,
0: at something. I'm assuming it's, it's that guy. Um, well, I, I think it's because he got pushed out of the way by fire. You know, he used to be a little more prominent in the previous version. Now fire's taken off. Oh, yes.
1: Yeah. yeah, probably. I mean, I, I was going to say something about what she's pushing back on him with, but I, I didn't want to go that way. <sighs>
0: Goodness gracious! Thanks for uh, thanks for really charming the folks at home here. Way to go, Keith!
1: Uh, I stopped char- charming people years ago. That's not not my bag,
0: man. I can understand why you like Guy Gardner so much. I like Mister Miracle's face. He sort of it looks like he's almost like on his tippy toes, trying to look over Metamorpho. Like,
1: hey, look, I'm still in here. They did always draw him a little bit shorter than everybody else, and he may have a Napoleon complex, being married to Barta and everything. <laughs>
0: So maybe he is on his tiptoes.
1: And Martian Manhunter, John, is just sitting there looking like, okay, when are you going to take the damn picture? So...
0: (laughs) I do like across the top, they've got a banner here. It says, the second anniversary issue of the world's greatest non-mutant superhero team. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, total dig it X-Men, right out of the gate there. Love that. That's so much fun. Yeah.
1: Uh, is it a dig at X-Men or is it a dig it themselves? In, in the fact that probably every title with an X in it is is outselling them at the time.
0: So That could be. That could be. That's true. Well, at, at this point in 1989, titles with Xs, I think that was probably just Uncanny X-Men and X-Factor, wouldn't it? Uh, well, I guess you could count New Mutants as well so I guess they had three mutant books that's, that's pretty well established I suppose by that point so mine um, there's like a smudge on mine where it says Just League America there's all this black ink all over it it's hard to make out except oh wait never mind it's an autograph of Kevin McGuire on my cover oh my goodness I don't remember when you got that that's right you were standing right with me and it was only last month <laughs> I was
1: and then I, I shoved my copy in his face too I was trying to get him to sign mine before yours but he didn't but um, I just realized that I think He signed mine Keith
0: Giffen. Well, I think that would be hysterical. I don't believe you for a moment. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, he signed to Kevin McGuire, and he was very nice when he did that. he, yeah. he, he was he was a pretty nice guy, despite the fact that you were all up in his
0: face. I was all up in his face. You know, it was a whole lot of like fanboy, like, "Oh my gosh!" Yeah. He was kind of reserved, but very friendly and very polite. Signed as much stuff as we asked him to, and super nice guy. It was very nice to meet him at the Baltimore Comic Con, and uh, really enjoyed that. So, a couple things about this cover. All right, so as you said, yes, McGuire is aping himself from JLI number one. I. I thought, I thought this was the first time that JLI number one had ever been uh, mimicked. It wasn't? Well, turns out it wasn't. Oh. It was done one other time. I didn't even know about this until I did the research for this episode. The first time it was ever homaged was Tales of the Teen Titans number 91, which was, you know, when Teen, when teen Titans went to Tales of the Teen Titans, it became a reprint book after a while. And uh, that one was a reprint. It was actually the last issue of that reprint series. The series ended with that issue. And on the cover, they did it, and it was a cover by Mike T. Collins and Romeo Taylor now, and this was published back when JLI was on issue 15, so it's a while ago at this point. But yeah, if you compare the, the new Teen Titans cover, I mean the Tales of Teen Titans cover to JLI, there's definitely that vibe going on. They're really trying to sort of mimic it. They don't have a smart-alecky line or anything like that, but there's definitely something going on. In fact, there's a website that I stumbled across called ComicBurst.com and they have an entry on Justice League. Uh, number one, It's like a, it has all these different homage covers, which is great. It's, it's absolutely wonderful. Maybe I'll put a link in the show notes. You should check it out. There's a lot of hom- homages that I either had forgotten about or didn't even realize. Like There's just a bunch of Transformers homages and stuff like that. Super, super fun.
1: Man, I'm telling you, if so, if an artist does not homage of this and they don't include the word balloon, I think they're missing out on about half the joke. So.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's got to be some sort of comment that just it throws the whole thing out of whack. Now, Keith, you'll like this. Interestingly enough, this cover is so well regarded that they made a shot glass out of it, which I'm holding in my hands, that I got at Spencer's. Now, I bought it two years ago. I have no idea if Spencer's is still selling things, things or not, folks. Sorry, but you feel free to check it out in the mall if you ever dare to, uh, you know, confront your mall or if you even have one in your town still. But uh, our, our our buddy Jay David Weeder, past guest of the show, tipped me off to it. Went into Spencer's with all the fourteen year olds and bought my uh, Justice League uh, shot glass. So I absolutely love it. Wait, what,
1: why are you holding it in your hands and
0: stuff? I'm holding it in
1: my hands
0: because I was the one smart enough to go buy it.
1: Oh yeah, see, I went into Spencer's, but I came out with a couple of unmentionable
0: items. I could only imagine. I could. only only, that's right, we would probably lose you in a Spencer's for a month if you went in looking for the shot class, alright, well someone else go to Spencer's first and let Keith know if they still have it there, so it's not, so it's a bit of a mission of mercy for him, if you would so, now before we get into this issue, there's a couple things we just gotta mention, now you gotta know that since the last issue, since Justice League International number 23, something has happened and that would be Invasion number 3 you may remember the end of the last issue ended with this black atmospheric inversion where all the where all the panels turned black and the lines turned white and that led directly into, into Invasion Number 3 and the Gene Bomb. Um, now, I'm not going to cover it here. Again, listen to the Invasion podcast for all that, but just know that the Gene Bomb explosion played havoc with the superpowers of the heroes on Earth. Superpowers were going all screwy, and normal people were getting super abilities for the first time. It really was kind of a launching point for a lot of new heroes for the DC Universe.
1: Wasn't Gene Bomb something uh, banned in the late 80s also?
0: It <laughs> could have been. I don't know. It'd be a great name for one, wouldn't it? Uh, if, if not, someone should have a cover band singing you know comic-themed songs called the gene bomb. So anyway, all this eventually settles down, right? And you get a whole bunch of metahumans and stuff like that. But there are two people in particular in the JLI that were dramatically affected by the gene bomb. We're going to talk about one of them tonight being Maxwell Lord, but then the other one is going to be fire. We're going to talk about an upcoming issues. So with that, uh, as we open the book, you find out in this bumper length book, there's actually three independent stories. Uh, The first one is called The Road Less Traveled, which is 22 pages. Then we get the bonus book in the middle, which is called Hostage, which is 16 pages. Then we get the final story, which is called Across a Crowded Room, uh, which is 17 pages. So, really a lot to talk about here. We're going to go through each individual story and discuss them. And again, go out to our website for the images. And with that, Keith, why don't you take us away with The Road Less Traveled?
1: All right. so uh, we'll start off with the feature story in this book. The Road Less Traveled is 22 pages. It's the longest story in this this book, and it focuses on, on Max. The plot and breakdowns were done by Keith Giffen. The script was by J.M. DeMatteis. Uh, the penciler was Ty Templeton, who does a great job in this. The anchor is Joe Rubenstein. The letterer is Bill Lapin or LaPan.
0: Whoa! Try that again, sir. Ah, uh, Bob.
1: Bob Lapin or LaPan. Show
0: respect to him. He is the greatest, well, uh, no offense to anyone else, but he's one of the greatest letterers in the industry. He uh, does an amazing job with this book.
1: Can I continue?
0: No. Not if you don't show the proper respect for Bob Lappin. Pan. Oh, see, you almost messed up his name. Shut up. never
1: liked you. <laughs> All right, so we have colorist Gene D'Angelo, assistant ed- editor Kevin Dooley, but he, say, he says he he's demoted to assistant editor. And I love how they put these little notes on the page. They're not, they're not a bunch of notes on this one, but I love it when they do this. So anyway, the a- editor is Andy Helfer, and he says, we'll never edit a crossover book again. <laughs> I'm assuming that he was the editor for
0: Invasion. I'm assuming. Well, Keith Kiffin wrote it, so it seems like a good likelihood that Andy was the editor and probably drove him close to madness, I would think.
1: Right, exactly. Um, I'm going to try and fly through this 22-pager real quick. Here we go. So, Max Lord starts off in his Cape Cod beach house. Because it's the 80s and because he's a millionaire, of course he lives in Cape Cod and has a beach house. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me if he has a big yacht that he's snorting cocaine off of. But anyway, so let's, let's roll on with with he's recovering from his sickness as a result of the gene bomb from invasion. He was one of several non-powered people that ended up getting sick. And he's trying to come to terms with what this means to him because basically it tells him that he is a carrier of the metagene. He currently has no powers, but he's contemplating what this would mean if he does eventually get power. He jokes around about uh, becoming Captain Capitalist. And just as a side note, this is this is what I enjoy about this particular uh, story, is that a lot of this has thought bubbles, which have gone the way of the dinosaur these days. But a lot, a lot of this is dialogue of him with himself, which everybody does. And they really don't show that anymore. Going back to the story, currently he's not displaying any powers. That becomes important later. But he knows that he has the potential where if he ends up having some sort of freak out. Accident of some kind, like being at, at ground zero of, of a at a nuclear test site, or being bitten by a ra- radioactive wombat. <laughs> he even jokes jokes around about becoming the amazing wombat man. So I think those are two great characters that need to come into play at some point: Captain Capitalist and Amazing Wombat Man. <laughs> So he starts thinking about and becoming obsessed with the idea of Metron's alien machine. Uh, you remember the one that puppet-mastered him into creating the Justice League in the first place. And he's asking himself if this machine knew that he had the metahuman gene in him, and if that's why he manipulated him in the first place. Anyway, he he has he basically calls him sick to work. He calls him sick to Oberon and tells him, yeah, he'll he's not going to be in this week. Maybe he'll come in Friday. And then he there's this point of where he hears a little bit of what's going on back, back at the JLI, and then he says, ah, maybe I'll come in Monday." <laughs> we've all done that before, where we we've realized that, you know maybe we need a couple extra days to stay away from all the people at work. So anyway, he decides that in this time off, I, while playing sick, he's going to return to Metron's mountain laboratory. So he goes up there and he decides to uh, spelunk back down into the caves where, if you remember, he had planned to murder his boss. Uh, And that was where he first met Metron's sentient information retrieval unit was what Metron called it. At this point, I think it's important to note that he did at that point plan to kill his boss, but he didn't go through with it. And since then, I think Max is a completely different dude. But his plan was to have his boss have a spelunking accident. and But he ended up having this accident without Max. Helping him out at all. So anyway, when he gets down there, he sees his boss's old body, and there's a great silent moment where he sits there and just looks at the body, and you can see see that he's thinking about a lot of things and what he almost did to this man that ha- that actually happened. And so Max ends up burying this body, and I think that that really tells you that that Max is not evil, no matter what people told you about ten years ago. And,
0: and it's expertly illustrated too.
1: Oh yes, good lord, man! I mean, just. The- The the expressions on the face and things like that uh, is is just wonderful. So uh, we have a little flash sideways or or, uh, another scene where Beetle and Oberon are basically telling what anybody who has ever read any Justice League, whether it's JLI or the old JLA, knows. Knows for a fact. Monitor duty is boring. And basically, this will let you know that Aquaman was full of shit or full of stuff. I I, I know you're going to cut that out. I I know you don't like cussing on here, but... Aquaman was full of it when he disbanded the league and said that they needed to be full time or they needed to go home. We know now that 99% of it is doing monitor duty and doing crossword puzzles. <laughs> and that there is a lot of downtime when superhero when doing the superhero biz, is that Starro is not always attacking and there is going to be a, a, a lot of twiddling your thumbs and rewatching fr- Friends reruns. So, <laughs> so. Justice League Detroit never should have happened. So I'll just.
0: Oh my gosh, you! This is not a safe place to hate on Justice League Detroit. I'm just saying.
1: Oh, who are you? So, uh, <sighs> so. Anyway, back to the story, Max gets this computer working. Why he wants to get it working, I don't know, but we'll talk about that later. He gets it working because he really needs to get some answers from this computer. It spouts a lot of nonsense for a while, uh, quoting literary works, uh, a lot of first lines from a lot of books. But he finds out two main things from, from this computer. He finds out, one, that Max heard it, and the computer seems to be pretty pissed about it. And two, he finds out that the computer did know about Max's metagene, so he probably picked Max for the specific purpose. Of trying to exploit the metagene at some point, but at that point the computer blows itself up, presumably trying to kill Max with a big zack, you know, with the, one of those uh, you know Batman sixty six kind of kind of deals. <laughs> Here is the question: Is is this the freak accident that Max was talking about earlier earlier in the story? Well, well, maybe. But so at that point Max is trapped by a cave in essentially, and he finds out that uh, you know several hours has passed. He's his Jli signal device has has shorted out from from this explosion and he starts thinking that he may actually die in this cave because he has no way to contact anybody he starts getting upset and this is where i think the thought balloons really come into play where he starts really talking to himself co- comforting himself joking around with himself a lot which is which is funny because everybody does this and then at the end he he does really what anybody would do he gets upset and he, and he starts he starts cussing people who are not there he start uh, he's he's surrounded by these superheroes all the time and none of them know that he's in these in this cave and he ends up saying can you hear me you superpower dipsticks help <laughs> he just screams this and at that point he makes an accidental telepathic connection to Blue Beetle to Ted and Ted just goes nuts and pro- and knows that Max is in trouble and that, that he needs to go save him uh, Oberon uh, thinks he's nuts uh, but Ice believes him and, and goes with Blue Beetle and they end up saving Max uh, who at some point ended up bleeding from his nose and they were trying to figure out what happened and they start heading back for home so and that in a nutshell, a big nutshell, is that 22-page story.
0: Awesome. Well, I I love this story. I think it's expertly done. And and the thing that sticks out to me the most is, is it's sort of interesting that the lead story of this huge anniversary issue is all about Max it's worth noting also issue number 12, which was the first anniversary issue, was also about Max. And I don't think anyone reading this probably even batted an eye that the lead character of the story wasn't one of the JLI or Justice League superheroes. You know, you would expect a story about Batman or Superman or whatever, but in this case, it's the human, the non-powered guy, the non-combatant, the guy who manipulates him all the time, he's the main character. And that just shows how far the Justice League model has changed uh, and how much it's been accepted. Because in just the first year for issue 12 and then now at the second year mark, you know, Maxwell Lord is as important to the Justice League as any of the previous members of that team. Yep. Again, you don't bat an eye. And two issues ago, we had a whole thing about Oberon, you know. These guys were part of the team. They weren't just the administration and that's what I love about it. I mean, if you think about the satellite era, your beloved satellite era, right? Which I also love, but. And and the amount of characterization that was there compared to what's developed here, I mean it's not a slight against the satellite era, but you know that was an adventure comic. This is a character-driven comic. It's completely different and it, it just works for what it is. And it took you 30 years to realize it, but uh, thankfully you did eventually. That's, that's
1: true. It did take me a while and, and once I once I got into the, I don't know that I would compare the two anymore. I mean, I'm older and wiser and knowing that, you know, chocolate milk is chocolate milk and regular milk is regular milk and don't try and compare the two because they both have their benefits. I mean, but that was an awful comparison.
0: Yeah, I don't know where you were going with that, but that's okay.
1: <laughs> but- <laughs>
0: I'm going to leave that in so uh, of can hear how bat-crap crazy you are. Uh,
1: <laughs> no, I think that's already been established by now. <laughs> I think that what I've done becoming older and hopefully wiser is realized that the two shouldn't be compared that JLI and JLA are just two completely different animals they're related but it's like it, it's like comparing a house cat to a bobcat
0: yeah they're they're completely different but they can both be appreciated correct now you put forth a question about max so you're you're suggesting that maybe the kazak or whatever it was was what jump started his metagene is that what you're thinking
1: i don't think that's what i'm thinking i think that's what is actually shown in the in the literature that we're reading. I, Interesting. I, and I also think that somebody at some point who wrote those horrible not-to-be-mentioned uh, stories from like 10 years ago, yes. went back and read this and were like, who was the first person that, that Max telepathically contacted? It was Ted Cord. <gasps> Exactly. Boom. What went on between Max and Ted later? You
0: know, I'm nothing.
1: A, but could it have been that, that there's a story waiting to be told? That that there was a reason that Max went after him first. I don't
0: know. Wow. Okay. See now, in this particular comic, what happens is he says, "Um, uh, hell, I'd pay good money just to see Beetle's ugly face." And that's when he yells, "The you dipsticks!" And then he connects with Beetle. So in the story, that's the reason. But I see what you're saying. The recon right. connecting Beetle and, and Max. Oh.
1: but could it be because he connected with them first it gave them a deeper connection that maybe Max needed to get rid of before he started doing other stuff
0: I suppose that's possible or maybe this is with the inspiration that made them write out that story because there were in story reasons for why Max did that in that never to be names thing exactly
1: Jeez, I don't know I just figured I'd blow your mind a little bit right
0: now Uh, you may be a little nauseous Um, and that's not unusual for you but um, (laughs) so let's talk about this art I mean Thai Temple who becomes the regular artist next issue. This stuff is gorgeous. I mean, the stuff with Max spelunking. Now, Gene D'Angelo played a big part with the coloring, too, as well. And, and Max's face is instantly recognizable. He's really picked up on all those you know little tiny facial tics that are, not tics, but facial characteristics that Kevin McGuire imbued into Max. For again, I've said it before, Max is just a regular-looking white dude with brown hair. There's nothing unique about him. And yet, the way Kevin McGuire illustrates him, the way that Ty Templeton illustrates him, I, I know that that's Max.
1: I can tell. He's changed him a little bit, and you'll notice that Max changes over the course of the series a little bit, where he's going away from, what's his name, from the
0: Omen? Uh, right, Sam Sam Neal.
1: Yeah. He's going away from Sam Neal. In fact, you can tell that there's a little bit of maybe receding hairline that they start putting in on him. Mm-hmm. But they're changing him just a little bit, but they still give him that same, like you said, that same recognizable look where you could pick Max out of a lineup.
0: Which is t- such a, a tribute to a uh, McGuire and all the artists that came after him just that, you know, again, regular looking dude and yet he's instantly recognizable, so really well done. Since we're talking about the art we got to talk about this, this is my favorite little bit on page 5, in the bottom left hand corner, this is great panel where Max is leaning up against uh, the rocks and he's looking at the cave opening, contemplating Wait, wait, in. Wait,
1: wait, wait, let me turn my pages because I actually have physical copies so.
0: Okay, well it's not going to do you a lot of good with a physical copy because I'm looking at my physical copy as well and it, on mine it just looks like a, a, a smudge in the black shadow. So where we're looking here, again, I'll post this online. You'll see the print version and you'll see the digital version so you know what I'm talking about. But in the bottom left-hand panel here, Max is just leaning up against the rock and you can see the cave opening and he's contemplating going in through this dark black hole, the cave opening. Uh, If you look in the cave opening, there's just what appears to be just like a bit of a color smudge, right? But if you read the digital version where everything is crystal clear, you can see clear as day in that little cave, there is the cutest little monster face. You can see the eyes, are lit up and you can see the mouth with these giant fangs. It is absolutely adorable. It looks kind of like, I don't know, almost like the head of the dragon in uh, what's that kid's movie? Uh, How to Train Your Dragon or whatever it's called? Yeah. It looks a little bit kind of like that face it's just so cute. I'm, I'm looking at
1: digital and physical now and my physical one, I can see something there like you said, but in the digital one, you can definitely see him smiling and maybe drooling a little bit with some yeah. fangs.
0: It's adorable. Now, I, clearly the art team was having fun. I don't know whether Ty Templeton put that in. I don't know whether Joe Rubenstein put it in. I don't know if Gene D'Angelo put it in. Someone clearly had a hand in this and I just think it's a hoot. It cracks me up.
1: Well, here's a here's a question. Around the same time we went over
0: it earlier about Dr. Fate was out at the
1: time. Yeah. Giffen was
0: doing Dr. Fate, right? No, Giffen wasn't associated with the ongoing series. He had helped with the miniseries but JMD Mateus was writing it.
1: Well, could it be that, that maybe that was a little uh, lore of chaos watching over Max or something?
0: <laughs> if you really want to dig deep enough I suppose you could really retcon a story a thing there, but it's not in the story at all. So I think it's just and the artists having fun. Yeah,
1: right. yeah. You're probably I think right. they had
0: some fun knowing it wouldn't really show in the print the, uh, in the final product, but in this day and age where everything's been remastered and is crystal clear, and you can see the coffee stains on Leonard Nimoy's shirts in Star Trek, then you know that it just shows up clear as day here, and I love it. I think it looks great. Vulcans do love coffee. They do, you know. So uh, again, one of the things that's sort of interesting about the story, and this is a stupid little thing, but Ty Templeton clearly thinks about his craft, really, is ice. Throughout this issue, sometimes she's wearing gloves, sometimes she's not. And if you watch, it's not a continuity error, it's she's wearing gloves at the appropriate time. Like, when they're they're all in the kitchen eating lunch, you know, the guys have already sat down, they're eating their lunch, she's clearly just made her plate and she's sitting down for lunch, she's not wearing her gloves, right? Then they go on the adventure and they're climbing through these rocks and doing all this stuff, she's wearing her gloves again, and then later on, when they're back in the JLI ship flying home, she's taking her gloves off because she doesn't need them anymore, and it's just like, wow, he took the time to really think about people's comfort and what they would wear in real life. And I just think that's very clever on his part.
1: Holy cow. Yeah. I, I never recognized that, I, that you, you're paying a lot of attention to ice. It seems, um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, there's that. And you talked earlier about, uh, obsessive nerds. Well, I am doing a podcast going through a, a comic book, one issue a month panel by panel. So clearly I'm paying way more attention to this than I really should.
1: <laughs> but, but actually he did the same thing with max. Did you notice how max took off his, uh, Cold weather vest. Once he got on the Quinjet
0: or whatever they were on. Oh, you're right. Look at that. That's very interesting. Now, whereas Beetle apparently never takes his costume off, which is funny because that's been that's pretty consistent throughout the JLI. Very rarely is Beetle in his you know looking like Ted. He's almost always in his Beetle guys. And I don't know if that's because they're afraid he'd look too much like Max or something. I'm not sure. But very rarely does he ever take off his Blue Beetle costume. Well, any uh, any final thoughts before we move on to the next story in this one? Nope.
1: I think we can roll on to what we doing next.
0: We're doing the bonus book next. So this bonus book, again, is not reprinted in a lot of places because it's not by Keith Giffen and JMD Mateus. It's by an entirely different creative team. We'll, we'll touch on it here. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, again, simply because it's not part of Giffen and D. Mateus. but it, it is in this book, so it's worth mentioning. So the, the gist of these bonus books, the, the intention was to include characters from the DC world, and, but to feature up-and-coming talent in the comic book industry. So in this particular one, you've got uh, the writer is David Levin, the artist is Dean Has- Hasplier. I can't. I don't know how, quite how to say that. Hasplier. Sure. Uh, the letter is John D. Agostino. The colorist is Matt Webb. The editor is Joey Cavallari, and the executive editor was Joe Orlando. Now, the bonus book is called Hostage. It is technically bonus book number thirteen because DC was publishing these across all kinds of books in their in their run, and each one was sixteen pages, and it would basically be a fourteen page story. The first page would be a splash page, which kind of served as like the cover of the issue, and then you'd get uh, the last page, which was features kind of uh, creator bios alright so the splash page cover if you will in this one shows Max he's sitting down in a chair and he has been tied up he's being held hostage and there's two guys arguing over him pointing guns in his head they look very much like Fidel Castro quite honestly at least a, a, a cartoonish representation of Fidel and then you've got above it, it it has the Maxwell Lord logo as if like that's the title of the book it's the Maxwell Lord
1: oh I love that logo man it, it looks like too. it looks like a nameplate
0: that would go on a door that's exactly well that's exactly what it's- it's intended to look like it's even got the screws yeah yeah and they use that in the uh, who's who entry as well which was expertly done by ty Templeton by the way the the, the loosely version
1: I've never heard of that
0: uh, Who's who? well I, uh, I I could point you in a direction but anyway <laughs> all right so getting into the story real quick recap here you know booster is on monitor duty and he's feeling miserable because he's stuck on it so uh so much so that he's stolen Maxwell lore's little handheld television and for the anyone who's under the age of 40 you probably have no idea what I'm talking about there were these little itty bitty TVs the screen was was like one inch by two inches, and they were super tiny in black and white, and you had to pick up your TV on your on the antennas. And uh, So Booster's watching TV on this little itty-bitty thing. Uh, Booster and Beetle then petition Max to buy this massive top-of-the-line TV costing about $15,000. Obviously, Max refuses these two clowns, and upon leaving in his limo, Max is surprised as he is kidnapped by apparent terrorists. These terrorists demand a ransom of half a billion dollars, and it turns out Max's company says, that's too much. They simply can't raise that kind of cash. And in the meantime, Max is using his gift of gab to turn his kidnappers into future employees. <laughs> and after negotiations completely fall apart, the terrorists end up paying the JLI to take Max back. In fact, the terrorists pay a sum of $15,000, which Beetle and Booster then use to buy that top-of-the-line television that they were lusting after. So Ooh. that is the short version of this story. What would you think of it, buddy?
1: I thought it was really great. I, the art was a little bit clunky, but I think that was by design. Maybe that was just the way this guy drew, but I really loved it. It had a lot of humor in it and they really nailed down the characters. Uh, it was, it was almost like a, a another issue of JLI. Really? I really enjoyed it. I, pl- I I really enjoyed the fact that, uh, the whole motivation be- behind, uh, Booster and Beetle, um, helping him out <laughs> was to, to get their new TV. So, <laughs>
0: I agree. I I think the characterization was spot on. I thought the, the writer really did a good job sort of capturing the characters. Max felt like Max. His disdain for Beetle and Booster was spot on. The way he manipulated the kidnappers. Now, he wasn't using his powers that we found out he has here. He was just manipulating them. There was also, it's funny, there's an interesting pop culture reference Max does which is completely lost on modern audiences. Two of his kidnappers are arguing back and forth and Max thinks to himself, great taste, less filling as these two guys are arguing back and forth which is meaningless to children but to old fogies like, us, we know what that means.
1: Miller light, we know all about that.
0: There you go. Yep. So and you said this feels like a JLI story. You know what it actually feels to me like to me? It feels to me like a short story from you remember Justice League Quarterly? That, and that's coming up in future years. But after JMD Mateus and Keith Giffen weren't writing every story, the Justice League Quarterly would feature stories by other people. It feels like one of those. It, it comes really close to capturing the essence of JLI. They did a good job of the characterization, so I, I feel like it sort of fits in that realm.
1: Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Although this doesn't have the conglomerate in it, wasn't the conglomerate? <laughs> conglomerate over
0: <laughs> that is true um, there's some good snappy banner though I mean I enjoy it now you talked about the art you're right it's this it definitely got this sort of independent comic feel no doubt about that and there's also early on there's some some problems with panel design uh, in the beginning which actually makes it a little challenging to, find, to follow the action I mean, you can figure it out certainly but there is a moment or two where you have to be like oh that panel goes there I see how that works and usually that just kind of takes you out of the story
1: yeah you're talking about those little panels that they
0: insert yeah. in between the panels yeah you know what else is interesting to me two story in a row here where Max is central to the plot and he's endangered. It involves Beetle. So two two stories right in a row where the, where that's happening. So there's almost, rep, you know, a little bit of repetition but Max is clearly a keystone to this whole series, you know? And we never found out who ordered the kidnapping. It's just this shadowy figure. We have
1: no idea. Yeah, well, Max and Beetle are really like chocolate and peanut butter. <laughs>
0: Until one blows the other one's head off. Sure, ah, um, sure, sh- 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 and, and also, in true JLI fashion, there is no superheroics. There are no superpowers in this thing. There's nothing at all even remotely heroic in this thing. The plot is resolved by Max's ability to schmooze people. That is what saves the day. And uh, that's perfect for a JLI book.
1: Well, actually, there is a backup superhero, and that's that little bitty TV, which was a wonder at the time, because you could take it tailgating to any sporting event. And you could <laughs> yeah. actually watch the other games that were going on. It it was wonderful. Even though the the screen was so small, you really couldn't tell one team from the other, but it was wonderful to take a TV with you at that time.
0: It was like your own handheld iPad or iPod that was like, you know, 18 times or a thousand times the size. Exactly. And took a million batteries to work too. (laughs) You felt like Dick Tracy. Right. Exactly. Just talking a little about the creative team on this. Again, David Levin was the writer. Now I did some research on him. He did very, very little else in the realm of comic books, but he Went on to become a producer, director, writer, editor. You know, in fact, in the early days of M- MTV, he produced these rockumentaries on Madonna and Michael Jackson, and then went on later on to help create and develop the whole uncensored brand for MTV. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. He he hit the big time there. He also wrote several books, two of which were children's stories that featured Superman. And he's also the writer of what is thought to be one of the rarest Superman comics ever published. It was entitled The Island Bradman with artwork by Kurt Swan. It was a comic book that was privately commissioned in 1988 by a real estate tycoon named Godfrey Bradman as a bar mitzvah gift for his son. And it's uh, again, it's thought to be one of the rarest comics in the world. And this is the gentleman who wrote it. So interesting. You're just making stuff up now. Well, or Wikipedia is one or oh, the other. Gotcha. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, Dean Haspiel, and I knew that guy's name. In fact, I saw it just recently referenced. He really didn't do a lot of stuff in the mainstream DC universe. As I said, his art looks very independent. Well, it turns out he went on and became very well known for his collaborations with Harvey Picar on his American Splendor series. Oh, wow. And also did a graphic novel called The Quitter. And he's been nominated for numerous Eisner Awards and won the 2010 Emmy Award for TV design work. So again, both guys went on a very successful career but not household names for DC Comics. Interesting.
1: Well, I noticed how you never mentioned his Maxwell Lord story as far as something that he's known
0: for. So. Right. Well, it doesn't show up in his bio. I, their websites don't list this as a, as a previous credit. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you said the front story was the, the main story in the book. Personally, I feel like this story is the predominant story in the book. But either way, yeah, they're both great. So let's get into this. Across a Crowded Room. 17-page story. Plot and breakdown by Heath Giffen. Script by James. GM- DiMatteis. Penciler, Kevin Maguire. Inkers, Joe Rubenstein. Letters, Bob LaPan. Colors, Gene D'Angelo. So again, pretty much the same creative team, except uh, it's nice to have Kevin Maguire and Ty Templeton in the same issue, like almost like a handoff, you know, as, as we change over artists. Assistant editor, again, Kevin Dooley. Editor, Andy Helford. Alright, let's get into the story, folks. The JLI New York Embassy hosts an open house party for superheroes after the invasion event. Well, it appears to be simply a party. Oberon's plan is to use the gathering as a recruitment drive for the JLI Now, the first eight pages are simply a bunch of talking heads at a party. But let me tell you, folks, these are some gorgeously rendered and hilarious talking heads. Now, in in addition to all the JLI members, including the less frequently seen members like Hawkman and Hawkwoman and Big Barda and Nort, there's a lot of guests in this story, such as Hal Jordan Green Lantern... Ray Palmer, the Atom, Major Force, the Creeper, Firestorm, woohoo, and Will Payton, uh, the Will Payton Starman's there as well. Plus, future Justice League Europe members such as Elongated Man, Metamorpho, Power Girl, Wally West, the Flash, Animal Man, and Wonder Woman. Although at this point they don't know they're future members of the JLE. Now the story is packed with funny, funny stuff, including Beetle lusting after Wonder Woman completely inappropriately, uh, Hawkman complaining about the JLI members to the point where he actually quits the team. Elongated Man repeatedly belittling Wally West, implying he pales in comparison to Barry Allen, a joke that will continue into the JLE series. Captain Adam and Metamorpho bonding over their shared issues with Batman. And then meanwhile, upstairs, Oberon is trying to convince Max to use his gift of gab to recruit new members. And Fire is pouting because she is still sick from the gene bomb and stuck in bed recovering and missing the party. Let's face it, folks. Fire never misses a party. Uh, Later, Oberon spends time interviewing each of the guests asking some seriously inappropriate and uncomfortable questions which are hilarious. (laughs) Then all hell breaks loose, as it usually does. Remember those shrunken cahoons from issue number 22 that Oberon trapped in the Roach Motels? Well, I did tell you to remember them. Jeez, people. Come on, stay on top of this. Anyway, these shrunken cahoons suddenly get unshrunken. They appear in the kitchen at full size and decide to extract a revenge on Oberon. The six cahoons kick in the door that leads to the next room, only to find themselves face-to-face with roughly 25 of the most powerful superheroes on the planet. In a hysterically funny series of panels, the Cahoons try to apologetically back out of the room, and then Guy Gardner announces to everyone, hey, those are Cahoons! And a stampede of superheroes attempt to capture these six Cahoons. (laughs) The trouble is that there are so many heroes all acting at once. They're pushing and shoving and tripping over each other, getting bottlenecked through the doors, and because there's so many heroes trying to coordinate, the Cahoons actually escape to the teleporters. However, we find out that they beam themselves to nowhere, so effectively they've killed themselves by accident. Aww. (laughs) Max then uses this opportunity to discuss how they can solve their problem of too many heroes, and the last two pages review the new recruits for the brand-spanking-new Justice League Europe. And the members they talk about are Power Girl, and they say that she'll be a real boon to the team. The Flash, who they note whose motives are for joining are may not be the most noble. Uh, What they really are talking about, he's there for a paycheck. Uh, Then we get Animal Man, who they say seems to be a bit unsure of himself. they mention elongated man a returning member of the classic team they mention Wonder Woman who at this point they're already referring to as a part-time member if only they knew just how part-time she was going to end up (laughs) Uh, metamorpho who Batman vouched for rocket red who's going to Europe because he wants to be closer to his family in the Soviet Union and captain Adam who they say has a lot to prove as the leader of the team and the issue ends with a box saying coming soon to a newsstand or comic shop near you justice league Europe but you knew that didn't you there we go (laughs) what'd you think of this one buddy
1: oh man that was a great recap but for some reason as someone who prides themselves on their name as being irredeemable yeah you skipped over the whole part with with fire and her just being incredibly hot in this uh, in this issue.
0: She is smoking hot. She's la- she's upstairs in bed in lingerie, basically. Is
1: she is. is in bed in lingerie
0: with a pouty look
1: on her face. I mean, good lord, dude, and and you missed all that. Plus, she has ice coming in to take care of her. I mean, <laughs> you couldn't set up a better story
0: for a, a flick like that. Oh my gosh, let's move on, there, buddy.
1: <laughs> well, I'm, I'm just saying, you you were the one who skipped over it. I just figured. It was an oversight.
0: There, there was so much humorous things in this. And some of it's not even in your face. Some of it's really subtle. Like, I love the bit. There's a subtle joke on page two. It's the fourth panel, where the panel, the focus of the panel is Hawkman and Hal Jordan elongated man and Flash talking. But if you look at the panel closely, you'll notice, like, in the corner, tucked up on the side, Booster is actually dragging Beetle away from something. and Presumably Wonder Woman, I would think. <laughs> but it, and it's just off to the side. So it's, I didn't I didn't notice it until I was you know doing this reread for this issue, or for this coverage, where I was like, oh my gosh. There's just so much in this thing. It's, it's wonderful. There's lots of stuff going on in the background. Like Guy Gardner at one point is making these demented little Cupid constructs in the background. Um, Nort, uh, as near as I can tell, he's burying a bone in the carpet. I'm not entirely sure. Creeper is dancing in, in a bizarre way. And I like to think he's dancing uh, as like walk like an Egyptian, maybe because he's talking to Hawkwoman. I don't know. But There's all kinds of stuff like that. Man,
1: I completely missed that part where... Booster is physically, he has him in a half Nelson taking Beetle out of the room. I think it has to do with a few panels before that where Beetle's hitting on Wonder Woman telling her to call him Teddy.
0: <laughs> Dude, I mean, he was way, way over the line. Even for 1989, he was way, way over the line with Wonder Woman.
1: It was almost like he was under a spell by her or something. I, I don't know what it was, but he, he really
0: was was dogging her hard, man. Yeah. You know, Power Girl's disgusted by the whole thing. And here they're already setting up her sort of like really tough attitude. I mean, they didn't invent that. That came from the original All-Star Comics where with the JSA where she was already tough and, and her own independent person. But they're really playing it up here where she just doesn't take crap off of anyone.
1: Yeah, that, this is about the time where they, with Power Girl, they start giving her a thicker neck and more muscles and really accentuating the mullet on her. I, I don't know if they were subtly Hinting at something with her, but some of those questions that Oberon asks, especially the one in the panel right before hers that they ask Firestorm, may bleed over
0: into that to something that they
1: were hinting about Power Girl.
0: Oh, interesting. So, I mean, just, just get to it. You're talking about sexual orientation. Like perhaps she was uh, potentially trying to make her be it seen a bit as, as they would say Butch back then.
1: That's what I always gathered. Even back then, I didn't, there wasn't a term for it that I knew of just because of the way I grew up. I didn't really know what it was, but I kind of knew what it was. Mm-hmm. So, I I think that that's what they were hinting at with those two panels being right side by side with
0: each other. It could be. I never, you know, I never even considered that. But I mean, they do make her a very independent woman who doesn't. I don't think she gets into a romance throughout the entire Giffen Dematteis era. Now they do later on. Other books do that.
1: Just with her cat. I mean, that's the that's about the only relationship yeah. that
0: she develops is with
1: that ugly yellow cat.
0: That and her and her diet soda. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that whole panel of the interview questions is great. Like I, the one with the creeper cracks me up. It's like, have you ever been convicted? Of of a crime and Creeper's like hmm convicted right and, you know it just goes on he's he I can't think I was ever actually convicted in the way McGuire draws the faces each face is individual you know like M- Metamorpho's got his eyebrow raised like what the hell are you asking me Creepers deep in thought Firestorm just looks confused Power Girl's angry Major Force is just flashes laughing his butt off Hawkman's cocky it just it's such amazing diversity of facial expressions McGuire is a master
1: it is and that entire page of those questions is really the main thing that I remembered from back when I first read this about about this particular story. Like, at the time, I was reading the Flash comic, and, you know, the fact that he was kind of a superhero for hire at the time, yep. and was flat broke. The fact that he, he says, average yearly income, blah, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> You know, he's laughing because cause that comes into play later in justly Europe, where pretty much the reason he joined was so that he could get a steady paycheck at the
0: time. Right. Now, he eventually comes around and really becomes, him and I feel like Metamorpho and Elongated Man kind of become the core of that team in my opinion, but yeah at first it's definitely uh, to make a paycheck and to be completely lecherous to, to Power Girl, is really all his function serves in the beginning of that, and we'll see more of that soon but let's um, let's talk about Firestorm here you know, we both love the nuclear man, and here he is, this is his one speaking, you know, like one or two speaking parts in the whole issue, so you've got some thoughts on this, right?
1: Well, here's the thing about Firestorm, the weird thing is that it, is this really Firestorm because the question is, is this Firestorm that appears in this issue actually an imposter had crashed the party because if you were reading Firestorm at the time well actually this is the same Firestorm that appeared in Blasters you know it's the classic Firestorm but if you look at what was going on in his story at the time Invasion pretty much broke Firestorm it made it mm-hmm. it made it so that Ronnie and at the time Mikhail couldn't merge into Firestorm because they had a psychic feedback so there was no Firestorm immediately after Invasion so since this story does take place right after invasion, how is Firestorm there?
0: hmm, let's take it a step further and talk about the art. The art illustrated here is clearly the classic Firestorm. He doesn't have the sideburns, the little red piping sideburns, and uh, he, he's drawn like and not not correctly, which is interesting because Kevin McGuire drew Firestorm in I want to say issue number 10, I think it was, of JLI, which was part of the Millennium crossover, yeah. which was still the uh, blank slate Firestorm, and he drew him correctly with the sideburns in that one. So yeah, that does sort of stand out. I remember I bought this issue at the time because it was an anniversary issue, it was leading into Justice League Europe, and it had Firestorm, so it was like an all-around win for me, and that Firestorm was like, wait, this isn't right! Right? Oh, it's, it's super nerd nitpicky, though.
1: And well, I mean, exactly, but, but see, this issue, and the reason I love this, or at the time I loved this issue so much was, I told you before about my way of thinking, was I was in waiting mode, waiting for a classic JLA to come back. Mm-hmm. So this right here was telling me, hey, here's a group of superheroes, there's classic Firestorm, well, maybe something... Maybe Maybe I missed a story somewhere where Firestorm went back to what he's in my head at the time supposed to be, which was Mar- Martin Stein and, and Ronnie into the classic Firestorm. Hey, there's Hal. There's Ray Palmer. He's no longer running around in the in the woods, you know, being mini Conan. <laughs> I was like, oh, crap. They're going to move back up to the satellite. You know, it's finally going to be what it's supposed to be. Of course, that wasn't the case. But, you know, in my teenage head, you know, anything happens in, in my head at that time, you know,
0: a lot of things we probably don't want to know about either.
1: Exactly, a lot of a lot of things I could probably draw out for you, and I'll email it
0: to you. But oh, all with stick figures, I'm sure.
1: But what I was going to say was that comes back to Hawkman. You know, Hawkman in this in this issue is really a dick. Going back at it and reading it now, yes, Hawk, Hawkman is sitting there and he's just being a whiny prick, and he's been and he's been like that for a while. But really, Hawkman represented the old JLA fans at the time, and I, I think that's what. Given and, De- and Demateus were trying to do, which was nothing new, and you've seen it You've seen it since then, and you've seen it before, but this is a creator's way of giving the complaining uh, uh, fans a voice in the in, in comic. And normally they turn it around on them and give their counter-argument as to why they're wrong. And that's what, exactly what Hawkman's doing. But Hawkman at the time really was voicing some of the things that I was feeling at the time, was that this, these guys are a joke, they don't mess Measure up to to what the JLA is supposed to be, and all that kind of jazz. So you know, of, of course, I'm more mellow now. You know, relatively, you know, that that's that that's just I think was Hawkman's
0: role in this in this story. I got to give you credit, Keith. That is actually some pretty deep insight that never even occurred to me. So the 16 hours of this podcast I've had to endure with you uh, were all worth it because I never once thought about the fact that Hawkman is actually just the voice of the audience, the the whiny fanboy. He he's Essentially, Jeff John's Superboy Prime is what he is in this case. You know, he's the writer is trying to say, Here's the whiny fanboy, and here's how we're going to take him down a peg. And yeah, that's exactly what he is. I never realized that. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I'm always here to show you things. <laughs> well, the benefit was he brought Hawk Woman with him, which she has stolen my heart. And so there you go. That worked out for the best.
1: Well, let me show you one more thing. Actually, the aliens are called cuns. It's, there's no apostrophe, so it's not two syllables. It's just cunned. I pronounce it the
0: way I always have, and I will continue to pronounce it. You that can
1: way. say Cahoon. Uh, do you say John Jones? To also, or I do
0: say John Jones. Yeah, when I pronounce his name properly, I do. Or I say I either say John Jones or I say Jean Jones. Exactly, you
1: know I mean? and that has an
0: apostrophe. Cun does not. <sighs> okay, well, I'm just still going to blow right past that, I ignore you, which I've gotten extremely good at doing over the years. Keep, keep blowing past. <laughs> So I got to say, you know, uh, page 11 and 12 of this story is absolutely freaking hilarious with these panels, folks. I'll put these out on the website as well. When the Cahoons show up, the Cahoons enter the room and it's these repeated panels of all 25 of the superheroes all like looking over their shoulder (laughs) at the Hoons coming in going, what the hell is that? And it's just, it's this wonderfully illustrated panel because like Hal Jordan's eyes are huge. I mean, he literally looks like, what the hell? And Power Girl's doing kind of the same thing. Uh, So you you get that panel twice, and then the third version of it is when Guy, his head pops up behind Batman. (laughs) Hey! Hey, those yeah. are cahoots! It's just a hoot. It is so funny. It cracks my ass up. It's so expertly done, and uh, and then you get the full, you know, like three quarter page splash of Guy Gardner's uh, Green Energy Construct smashing the bad guys through a wall, which is hilarious. I love it so much.
1: That page right there is probably one of my favorite in the favorites in the story. Is where a guy pops his head up and says, "Hey, those are cuns," and and because <laughs> because he is so excited to have right? somebody have somebody to pound on. He He's been wanting to do it ever since that that issue where they cleaned up the ships. Right, right. He just wants to beat the crap out of somebody, and he's like, "Oh, here they are! Let me send this big fist and just blow them through the wall."
0: It's very funny. It's it's there's it, it comes to mind for me uh, three sort of classic moments of guys' total glee of getting to get in a fight. You know, the first one is in, it's either an issue two or three I want to say of JLI when they go to Russia and the the, the Rocket Red Brigade show up and guys so exciting because the Russians are there it's like a dog who's found you know his best friend he wants to play with you know it's like oh yeah, they're here let's go play and he runs outside to go fight the Rocket Reds and then in that issue you just mentioned with the Injustice League where he, he figures out there's bad guys and he's like oh thank god someone to fight and he takes off and it's the same thing here it's just he loves it and uh, it's an absolute hoot and uh, again Guy Gardner as much of a pain in the ass he is and a guy I would never want to hang out with in a million years at least this incarnation of him he is so representative of this era. You cannot separate the two things. He is a perfect representation of this league, even though he's a complete jerk. Oh, yeah. It really is like a like a family when you read it,
1: where there's some people in your family where you're just like, okay, well, I know they're going to be there, and this is how they're going to act, but they're still family. I, we have to put up with them, and Guy is that dude. And speaking of family, uh, the other thing that, that a lot of people talk about is the way that Wally gets treated by some of the other people in the Justice League, especially in this issue where how Ralph and Ray Are ribbing him About not being Barry mm-hmm. A lot of people Get their panties In a wad about it And say Well you know Wally's the Flash And you know He he really shouldn't Be treated like that By these guys And what They need to realize That how Ralph and Ray And you know Some of the other jlaers Are almost like uncles Or even big brothers To Wally mm-hmm. I grew up in a big family A big extended family Whenever we got together At Thanksgiving and stuff There was always So much crap. Crap talking to each other, especially among the guys where even the girls in, in my family. But if you have brothers, if you have a bunch of brothers together or a bunch of younger uncles who hang out hang out with all the guys, they're going to give shit to the youngest guy. The youngest guy in the group is gonna is gonna take all kinds of ribbing and, and just crap. And that's just the way it is. And with these guys, it's really almost like a an army troop or or, or a family where they're ribbing Wally and, and that's a, a way to. To help him grow is to give him all of these ribs, saying, "Hey, man, yeah, you know, Barry would have done it this way. Yeah, maybe one day you'll grow up, kid. You know, <laughs> that kind of stuff." I, the only thing that would have been better is is if they would have taken him out back in this issue and given him nuggies in the in the backyard. <laughs> Because that would have really been perfect. And it's not saying anything that Wally's not worthy, but it's just saying that Wally needs to remember where he came from. And, and these guys would really be the first guys to jump in and defend him to anybody else. I guarantee that.
0: There's two sides to this. I mean, yeah, it's it's guys being guys. Absolutely. And the, the, the friend of mine has this theory. It's called the theory of 11, which is when you get two or more guys together, they start acting like they're 11 years old, That's which true. is absolutely appropriate. It's absolutely true. And that's what's going on here. It's it's just guys giving each other crap, and it fits perfectly. And it, as it does continue with Ralph into the uh, into the JLE series, and you it, know it's funny too. Though is Wally is an interesting character because yes, he he's the kid in the DC universe that made good and grew up and got to be you know basically replace his his mentor. But a lot of people forget Wally premiered in I want to say 1959 if I remember right. You know Barry's 1955, Wally's like 1959. Wally's been around almost as long as Barry has been. He's been around longer than the just Justice League. So Wally has been a character been around forever, so even though the guys are giving a crap, it's like you said, they, they've known him since he was the little tiny squirt, and he's part of the family. So, absolutely. and It's just all in fun. Um, I wanted to mention something about this comic too, by the way. You mentioned about you thinking that the, the real JLA, as far as you were concerned, were coming back. For me, uh, and I've said this on the air before, but I didn't buy Justice League uh, International for a long time. I picked up issues here and there. This is one of the issues I picked up here and there, but I didn't officially start collecting JLA or Justice Justice League America until issue 42. That's when I really, it all clicked for me and I went back and immediately bought all the back issues. But this particular issue I bought because I was excited about Justice League Europe. For me, I, I didn't think the funny league was the way to go, sort of like you. I was like, oh, Justice League shouldn't be funny because I had loved Justice League Detroit. It's like, Justice League should be serious and this isn't my kind of Justice League. Even though I bought the issue and I probably still laughed at all the jokes, I, I was like, when I heard Justice League Europe was going to be, you know, quote unquote, more serious, it was going to be a more traditional adventure book, I was so excited. So I was so all in for Justice League Europe. In fact, I bought Justice League Europe starting at issue one, so I was buying Justice League Europe without buying Justice League America as a companion book. I would buy the crossover issues and important ones, but I was buying Europe before I was buying Justice League America, and it started because of this issue. Oh, wow.
1: I was already on board, and and I went with Justice League Europe, but I had the same level of thinking as you, as as Justice League Europe was going to be more action-oriented, going to be closer to to what I imagined JLA to be. And it also had a lot more familiar characters to me whereas booster and beetle while while they were great at the time they were relatively new to DC people. You know what I mean? I mean, mm-hmm. they, same with Guy, even though Guy had been around forever, he'd been in maybe four or five issues of Green Lantern up until Justice League. You know, when, when Europe started out, you have Metamorpho, you have A-Flash, you have Captain Atom, you have you have a lot of these characters that you really recognized and they were going to be treating it a, lot, a, a little bit more seriously, or at least you thought
0: that at the time. I was excited for Power Girl too, because I've always been a big Justice Society fan and those old all-star comics I just loved those when I was younger like I remember talking to people about the super squad they didn't even know who they were you know the all-star comics what are you talking about I just I was a big fan so I was thrilled to see her on the team oh
1: yeah de- definitely especially now that it, it was post-crisis and it was starting to sit, sink in that this was a combined world it's good to see an Earth 2 person on a on a squad which may have been the first one that, that it was I mean you have Blue Beetle who was from the Charlton Earth
0: yep well you had you had you had Captain Marvel from Earth S. You had Blue Beetle from Earth what C. And then you had, but you had Doctor Fate as well. Don't forget, and but he wasn't around very long. That's true. You did have Doctor Fate from Earth Two as part of the Justice League International as well.
1: That's right. Yep. But now you have Power Girl, who, like you said, she was in the Super Squad and she was in she was in All Star Comics. So. Yep.
0: And, and she stayed around, unlike Doctor Fate. Yeah. Where where did he, he turned into a woman or something? Right. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. So uh, <laughs> I I don't know about you, but I, I've kind of said everything I've got about this issue. I I do want to point out one. Thing. Last month, I told you that this would be the final issue of Justice League International we cover. Well, I misspoke by a bit. Turns out, I had to go back and look, and I didn't notice this. Turns out, the next issue is still called Justice League International. I didn't notice that. I thought it, I thought it changed with issue 25. Turns out, it changes with issue 26. But yes, 25 will be the last issue of Justice League International because after that, the title changes to Justice League America, which has proven to be a real bone of contention with all the hyper sensitive nerds who like to catalog everything because you get Justice League International 1 through 25, and then you suddenly jumps to Justice League International number 51, which is actually Justice League Europe, but it gets all confusing. And then you get the 50, new 52 title, Justice League International. So it's, it's a mess to keep track of. But next issue will be the last issue of Justice League International we cover. All right, folks, well, this is the part of the show where I get to sit back, pop a cold one, and relax, and uh, something I like to call character spotlight This is where the guest is asked to share some thoughts on one of the characters from this issue, not really an origin recap, but more where the characters were about when, uh, in the DC universe when this JLI story was going on and how the JLI may have impacted them or their career during or afterwards. And in this time I've asked Keith, I've cheated a little bit, not really a JLI member, but he's in this issue, so I've asked Keith to cover Firestorm, the nuclear man, buddy, when he take it away.
1: So what we're talking about is Firestorm and what's going on with him at this time. So everybody knows who Firestorm is. Otherwise, you wouldn't be listening to anything on this network. (laughs) So... Essentially, Firestorm started off as Professor Martin Stein and Ronnie Raymond, a high school student, and they were fused together in a nuclear accident at Hudson Nuclear Plant. Everybody knows that kind of stuff. But at this point in Firestorm's career, he'd gone through a little bit of a change. Uh, Now, at this point, uh, John Ostrander was writing him, and he had shaken him up a little bit. Currently, Ronnie Raymond was fused with Mikhail Arkadin, who was a Russian guy, and there were a lot of more Russian centric stories. is kind of what Ostrander was doing at the time, more spy type stuff, but specifically with this issue, Firestorm had been affected by the gene bomb and they could not merge together which I believe we mentioned earlier. When this particular story came out Ronnie Raymond was in school at Vandermeer University and he was actually affected by the gene bomb which lets you know that Ronnie Raymond did have the metagene, which may come in later in something called Extreme Justice but... Um also at the time, uh Lorraine Riley, who was Firehawk, I can't remember if it was from the gene bomb or something else, but she had just gotten over radiation poisoning. How that happens, how you get over that, I don't know. But but that's essentially what's going on. Uh like I said, we're in a transition period for Firestorm. It's uh Ronnie and Mikhail, and that's gonna work our way into the elemental firestorm, which who's going to be a cosmic traveler, kind of like Firelord. Um
0: now, I, I would say the elemental version, I like to think of more as like a, a version of Swamp Thing, really. Because, you know, just do, being an elemental force in nature and, and trying to decide whether to purge the world and all that. I really felt like when he went to the elemental thing, that was almost proto-Vertigo, really. I mean, the, the book was, it had that vibe and feel of, a, of a, just the beginnings of a mature title because they really touched on some heavy issues. Now, one thing I do want to mention, you mentioned are doing a lot of the stuff with the Russian stuff. And it took me a long time to warm up to that because at first I wasn't, I wasn't down with it. Now as I've gotten older, I really see what Ostrander was trying to do, which was to, to reflect the Cold War. The two nuclear superpowers in the world were the United States and the Soviet Union, and having a, an American and a Soviet merged together in this atomic hero really made a lot of sense. And it, it made for some really interesting stories, and I, Mikhail became a very beloved character to me. I loved him. I loved his family. The Soyuz. Yeah. yeah, Soyuz was a great thing. The sad part is I think the thing that really let down this era of Firestorm was the art. Joe Brozad no no disrespect, but it really wasn't probably the right man to, to, to headline a big book like that at the time and it just didn't carry the punch that some of the earlier issues had. I mean, you, you had Pat Broderick and Raphael Cainan, which were just knocking out of the park, and, and then you hit the, the Zuggernaut.
1: I think my big thing uh, about Firestorm at this time, okay, so I was reading The Question, Green Arrow, uh, Manhunter, I was reading a lot of the uh, Suicide Squad, a lot of these things that were a little bit heavier, uh, a lot Lot of them, a uh, few of them by Ostrander that was, had to do with the Russians, you know? Mm-hmm. And the fact that in one of my superhero titles in my stack, which was Firestorm, they had to bring in this Russian spy Cold War type stuff
0: also. It seemed like I was getting oversaturated with a lot of Spygate kind of stuff. If you were hanging out in the Ostrander corner of the DC Universe, absolutely. Yeah, he had sort of his own little thing going on there with Suicide Squad, Firestorm, uh, Manhunter, uh, I think I'm forgetting the book. Checkmate was by Kup-
1: yeah, Copperberg was yeah. doing checkmate, but I think they were working close with each other on that.
0: Yeah, I would think so too. So they all kind of lived in their own little corner of the DC universe, which was a great little subterfuge uh espionage kind of era. And it was great. And then when he went to the elemental version, it, it really was a whole different kind of vibe. It really felt like he was inspired by Alan Moore Swamp Thing. In fact, he even brings in things like the Sutherland Corporation from Swamp Thing, and, and they actually have a crossover with Swamp Thing. I shouldn't call it a crossover, but they have a story that features Earth's elementals, which included Swamp Thing and Red Tornado and they create a new Water Elemental and yeah. Uh, yeah it's powerful stuff I love it and obviously I could talk about Firestorm all day as you said the network was founded on our, our shared love of Firestorm and Aquaman so
1: yeah I, th- I think they would have been good at that point at issue 100 to relaunch it as a Vertigo title now that you mention it. that would probably yeah
0: be- it would have been a few years too early Vertigo didn't come until what 92 uh, oh screw it They'll launch it anyway there we go launch Vertigo with Firestorm that makes perfect sense yeah <laughs> Alright folks, well now we get to the moment Oh man, this is going to be hard The moment of truth We are now going to have to decide Who is going to walk away with the Pwahaha Award this is where we nominate the funniest moment in the issue. Both myself and Keith are going to pick a moment, and only one is going to be able to walk out of here carrying their Blah ha, ha Award proudly and held high. Keith, you're the guest. Unfortunately for everyone at home, what is your nomination for the Blah ha, ha Award? Oh
1: well, there were not a lot of standout, just really jokey moments. I mean, we talked earlier about the guy Gardner smashing the cuns through the wall kind of stuff. But I'm going to pick something from the story that I covered and. It's more of a dry humor type thing. So what I'm going to say is there's a there's a nice little panel where Beetle and, and Ice have just picked up Max and they're flying him back to the headquarters. Beetle says, you're all right, Ice. You know that? What were you before you became a superhero? And she says, well, actually, I was an Ice goddess. He said, and they get on me for joking around too much. Just the fact that he thinks that she's just kidding around. And then they follow it up later with pretty much almost the same joke where really uh, Beetle's not believing what she's saying. And she says, I wasn't kidding before. I was an ice goddess. And he says, I dated an ice goddess once, Janice Feingold from Hobo. Burr. she was a cold one. <laughs> so just the fact that Beetle still can't believe all the things that he's seen that he's flying around with an ice goddess, I think, is pretty funny.
0: That's a good one. That's a very good one. It's not the funniest moment in the book, but it's a good one. It's not bad. It's a good good sophomore try there. Uh, no, dude, it's clearly got to be the the Guy Gardner. It's the Cahoons. I mean, the, the three repeated panels of the 25 superheroes, the the Cahoons, you know, very, with these huge word balloons and little tiny words written within, within it, so they clearly, they're whispering like, very quietly, pick up the door. And they're backing in like, so sorry for interrupting, and they're leaving and they think they're about to get away with it and then Guy Gardner with the, hey, it's the goons That thing is freaking hysterical. I laugh out loud every time I read it. So, clearly, that's got to win. I, I I don't mean to bully the guest here a little bit, but come on!
1: Shag, you know me, and you know that there is no way ever that I would ever agree with you, but I'm going to have to this time. So, let's do your... If you could just say
0: Cund correctly, well, I'll agree with you. Fine. So, we will award this uh, Bwahaha Award to Guy Gardner and the Cuns is that is that work for you, sir? That works for me. Thank you, sir. Okay, Guy deserves it. Truthfully, I mean, he we have done nothing but wax Guy's car in this issue, so I, I think he really, really has earned it. So, uh, Guy, uh, congratulations! Please wear your Bwahaha award with pride. It is as as tangible as the laughter we give you, Guy. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. Well, at this point, as I understand it, Keith, you told me that you have to go in your garage and gather up your spelunking gear. I'm not sure what that's about. No, so he's no, gonna leave us for a bit. No, I, I have nowhere to go, man. I'm just gonna hang out here. No, no, no. See, this is the part of the show where the guest actually leaves for a little while. No. Uh, no and then no. I do the listener feedback and then you come back at the end. There's been twenty three previous episodes you could have listened to, you probably haven't, to no. help you understand the formula of the show.
1: That that's all right, dude. I'm I'm fine just hanging out here. I'm I'm gonna hang out with you and we'll talk about what whatever we're talking about. Blah words or or some listener feedback or whatever the heck you want to do, man. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I'll, it's, I'll, I'll it's, just hang out.
0: It's not really how it works, Keith. It's it's not 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 the plan. That uh, no 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 nah, no no.
1: It's cool. It's cool. I'll stay.
0: I'll stay. You won't even know I'm here. Oh my gosh. Okay. All right. Well, that's awesome, uh, folks. I guess uh, Keith's gonna hang around while I get to read your feedback in a segment called Justice Log. Hey, hey, uh, uh, Shag! What's this switch right here do? Keith, you said you would be quiet and sit in the corner. Go over there now. I left out some Oreos. Just go sit. I'm like a mouse in a church, you won't even know I'm here. Yeah, I don't believe that for a second. <sighs> sorry about this folks alright let's get back on track folks be sure as you're listening to this episode to get out on the social media get out there use our hashtag pound podcast or you can tag us JLI podcast on Twitter and on Facebook and as I've always said it is really about building a community of online JLI fans around this show we want to hear from you so please share your thoughts on either this issue the annoyance of Keith you know whatever and remember when you're posting your comments if you're outside of the United States let me know because we will assign you the appropriate embassy which is good to know too because if you're international we'll have to filter itunes properly to see those reviews speaking of which we have a new itunes review thank you very much mike somkowski so mike says this show keeps getting better and better great work to a truly international team that's been assembled just like the one punch cue the sound effect hey mike that's my job anyway uh mike goes on to say it's worth going back and checking these issues out great trip back in time Thanks so much, Mike. Really appreciate that. Also, of interest, Mike sent me a message. He was recently doing some back-issue shopping for JLI Issues while he was in New Jersey, and he got to meet the guys from AMC's Comic Book Men, Walt Flanagan and Mike Zapsik. Awesome. All right, folks. Well, now we're going to get into your comments from the Fire & Water Podcast website, emails we've received, social media, things like that. And as always, I'm just going to be pulling bits and pieces of it because, really, there is so much to cover. We couldn't possibly get through it in a short amount of time. And these comments are going to be specific to the last episode, which is about Justice League International number 23 with my guest Andy Leyland from the English Embassy. Hey, hey Shaq, Shaq. What? I I gotta go pee. Is that that alright? You gonna be okay without me for just a sec? I think I will be just fine without you, Keith. No, that's perfectly fine. You go ahead. In fact, if you get lost in the embassy on the way to the bathroom, that's fine. Hey, where's the bathroom again? Go. Just go. Follow the signs. Get out. Okay.
1: I don't read French, so...
0: Ugh... All right. Our first comment comes from Mike Staley, who does the Silent Night, the Cassandra Kane podcast. He writes in to say, just finished episode 23, and I'm continuing to enjoy it. I've been reading through the JLI collections, so I'm now aware what happens in these stories as you get to them. Makes for an even more fun listening experience. Aw, thanks, Mike. Then he says, uh, this was one of the issues that turned me from a guy hater to a guy fan. The boyish glee he shows when going after the bad guys is just hilarious. You are not wrong there, Mike. Then we heard from my buddy Siskoid from the Canadian Embassy. He's part of the Fire & Water Podcast Network, doing such shows as the upcoming Zero Hour Show, and he formerly was a co-host on the First Strike Invasion podcast, where they actually covered JLI number 23. And Siskoid writes about the last episode, I've never heard of this issue. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Siskoid. Then we heard from my buddy Alan W. Wright, who does the Robin Hood site Bold Outlaw. Alan writes, fun show. When this issue came out, I already knew who Major Disaster was. Not from Who's Who, not from his battles with Green Lantern. No, I." Used Used to have a TRS-80 color computer, so I remember major disaster from when he fought Superman and the TRS-80 WizKids. Kids. <laughs> That's awesome, Alan. You know. I- I also had a TRS-80, or as we called them, Trash 80s back then, and did a lot of gaming. I even learned programming on that thing, man. I used to, I used to write in code uh, the little blocks that would make them appear on the screen and stuff, using uh, character strings and all this stuff. Anyway, And I would, believe it or not, all the way back in like 83, 84, I would do a TARDIS from Doctor Who, and I would do this uh, and Alan's a Doctor Who fan, so I figured he'd appreciate that on my TRS-80. Anyway, uh, Alan, also, I thought it'd be worth sharing with you. Our buddy Zoom Yukinori from the Fire and Water Podcast Network, he does these amazing custom who's who entries and a few years back he did a custom who's who entry just like the old school who's who with the yellow dots and everything for the trs80 whiz kids it's awesome in fact it's so great Uh, my podcasting life mate rob kelly had it printed onto a t-shirt so there we go trs80 life represent. Then we heard from my buddy Chris Franklin. He's also part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, where he has shows such as JLUcast, and he's currently finishing up the House of Frankenstein, and, and I was fortunate enough to have dinner recently with Chris and his family, which was an absolute blast. I always love visiting with the Franklins. Chris writes, I was wondering why Andy was a bit more potty mouth than usual, but it all made sense at the end. foul mouth Shag has been sanitized a lot over time, so it's easy to forget his blue period. Yeah, Chris, I, I did used to swear a bit more, damn it. <laughs> uh, Chris goes on to say, fun show, gents, but I expect no less from two of my favorite folks. Aw, he's so sweet. Then we heard from Adam Ackerman, who goes by Centaurin. He's at our Denmark Embassy. He writes, Dick Turpin reference. That gives me reason to post this Not Adam Ant song. And he posted a link to a song. It's, it's, they're called Horrible History Songs, and it's all about Dick Turpin and how history has painted him as this, you know, fun highwayman, but the reality is he was a horrible person, and it's a, just a really interesting song. So if you go out to our our website check the comments from last episode follow the link and uh, wow it's it's worth watching and as adam has been tending to do lately he releases a haiku also about last issue he recaps it by saying JLI Cleanup, Injustice League Up Then Bound, Punts Don't Trigger Bomb. <laughs> Thanks so much, Adam. We really appreciate that. Then we heard from my buddy Michael Bailey from the Fortress of BaileyTube podcast network, and you may recall last episode I promoted a Aquaman trade paperback in the In Stock Trades section, and Mike says, that major disaster issue of Aquaman was one of the better Underworld Unleashed crossovers. It's one of those moments where a writer takes a villain's or hero supporting character's abilities and stretches them to their natural conclusion. Then he was part of the obsidian age and suddenly major disaster is the Sandman of the DC universe the villain turned good guy and Mike says did I miss y'all talking about Big Sir's real name doofus P. Ratchet (laughs) oh my gosh Uh, he says doofus P. Ratchet is one of the greatest most insulting alter egos in comics it was changed to David Ratchet for his appearance on the Flash TV show last season I have yet to see that episode but casting wrestler Goldberg was solid in my opinion Mike says the Injustice League is one of the highlights of this run it takes the deconstruction of the characters in an amusing direction. While more serious versions of the Injustice Society or gang or league will always be fun in their own ways, this one will always hold a special place in my fan heart. Can't wait for the fourth annual. Oh gosh, Mike, uh, Justice League Antarctica. Can't wait for that one. It's going to be fun. I got, actually I have something special planned for that episode. Then we heard from Martin Gray from the Scottish Embassy. He does the Too Dangerous for Girl blog. Martin says, terrific episode. I knew all of those villains, but I'm vintage, don't you know? This wasn't the most important issue, as you say, but boy was it fun. And let's not forget Joe Rubenstein's pin-sharp inking when doling out the praise. You know, that's a good point. We talk a lot about Kevin McGuire, but we probably don't give Joe Rubenstein enough credit. Good point, Martin. Thank you. And then uh, Martin goes on to say, Now, Shag, if Andrew has intrigued you with his talk of Children of the Stones, I do have a copy of the DVD lying around, but I suspect you have to be a kid to get the full effect. Mind you, the Spirit of Dark and Lonely Water public service ads still give me the willies. And he shared a link to it. And this, again, it it was this public service announcement for kids in Britain it was called The Spirit of Dark and Lonely Water, and it was like a PSA. And let me tell you, to this day, it's creepy, man. It is really freaky. That's also a video. Out, and You can check it out on the, in the comments from the last episode. Then we heard from my buddy Tim Price, who I was fortunate enough to hang out with at the Baltimore Comic-Con. I got a chance to spend a really a lot of good quality time with Tim. What an awesome guy. You know, I give him a lot of crap on the show. I joke about his long uh, comments, and I read them to my daughter, and I put her to sleep at night and all this stuff. I really give him a hard time, a lot of ribbing. I, do, I give all y'all, actually a hard time but i just want you guys to know every time i do this listener feedback it just fills me with so much joy to to read your comments and see what you guys are thinking and interact with y'all and just be part of this community it makes me so happy all of y'all i just i love you guys you're absolutely fantastic and i'm so thankful to be involved with all of y'all it's a fantastic group of folks hey shag
1: don't worry buddy i'm here
0: i'm back Oh, I could not be more thrilled with that. That's wonderful news. Okay, so maybe not everybody's fantastic. Um, All right, getting back into Tim's message here. So Tim writes, I recently discussed a different comic where nothing really happened. It was still a fine read, but kind of flat. But this issue, I've always loved it. It's hilarious, and it's okay for nothing to happen as long as it's entertaining, even more than moving day. This issue's defined the tone of the JLI, completely a what-happens-when-they're-not-saving-the-world kind of story. Maybe it's obvious, but I know that this is Guy's issue through and through. His impatience with the situation produces all the conflict and the impetus for the story. He's both protagonist and antagonist, and even one of the subtle visual gags is all guy. Now, two shout-outs for my man Dmitri. One, his gags are great in this issue, and calling him Yakov Smirnov is right on the money. I can hear him saying, "In Russia, armor wears you." <laughs> Uh, Another point is how well McGuire conveys his emotions. You can't see his face at all with that helmet, so none of Kevin's signature facial expressions, and yet there's so much to see. Check the panels above and below the expletives, lots of them deleted, for Rocket Red's reaction. It's just genius. Well, guess that's it. Andrew and Shag did a great job covering this one, and I don't have more additional points to raise. Sorry, Shag. Guess your daughter will need something else to help her sleep this month. I'll try harder next time. (laughs) Thanks, Tim. Sincerely appreciate it. Then we heard from Howard Simpson, the legendary Howard Simpson from ABBA Studios. You know, He's a comic book artist on some of our favorite series, such as Young All-Star, Secret Origins, Harbinger, so many more. And Howard's been a good friend of the Fire & Water Podcast Networks. It's always great to hear from him. Howard wrote, That cover doesn't make you think there's going to be a good story inside. However, it's a pleasant surprise. You guys do a great job of pointing out what makes it good. Well, thanks, Howard. appreciate that. Then we heard from Ward Hill Terry. He says, I was thinking that First Strike Invasion podcast did this issue better, but this show has Andy Leyland, which saves it. Um, normally I say thanks for comments. Ward, I'm not so sure this time. Then we heard from Jimmy McGlinchey from the Irish Embassy. Jimmy writes, Irish Embassy calling from its new deluxe building. Didn't think we could afford it, but once I went around with the swear jar to Shag and Andrew after the last podcast, Podcast, I was able to really upgrade the embassy. We even got the fancy plumbing they have in the Russian embassy. Thanks, Andrew and (laughs) Chag. Thanks, Jimmy. I always appreciate your laughs. He says, Ah, the Injustice League. Such a fun concept. This was my first time reading about these characters, but they were a fun group to pit the JLI against. Well, when I say pit them against, I mean occasionally annoy. Uh, Then he goes on to talk about some of the individual characters, he says this about Multiman, because Multiman was an unusual character. He was presented in a much darker vein in Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale's Challengers of the Unknown miniseries, which I read in trade paperback, which was handy as the creators explained the difference between their Multiman and the Injustice League's Multiman in an unpublished JLI quarterly story, which was quite funny. The other appearance of Multiman that I remember was in the Joker's Last Laugh series, where he was murdered multiple times in order to get the right superpower needed. Wow. I don't remember that. And that's quite possibly the only good thing to come out of Joker's last laugh. Uh, (laughs) Thanks. As always, Jimmy, we appreciate it. Then we heard from rich Matsumoto. Rich says, I'm still waiting for the official announcement of the injustice league movie. (laughs) I think you're going to be waiting for a while, Rich, and Martian Manhunter might have something to say about copyright infringement. Then we heard from Joe Tinello. He says, an okay podcast with a fantastic shout-out. That's <laughs> because I had some nice things to say about Joe last time. I don't think I have anything nice to say about him this time. <laughs> then we heard from Zeb Oswald. and he says, Guy is one of my favorite of the JLI, too. Him, fire, and ice. Hmm, good choices, Zeb. Then we got a message from a new commenter, JT the Exterminator. He says, uh, I've been an avid comic book fan for 25 years or more. I recently discovered your blog, Fire Firestorm fan, and the entire Fire & Water podcast network. I love it. For the past few months, I've been downloading podcasts to listen whilst working. I'm in pest control, so I drive around all day and kill stuff. I love the JLI Bwahaha podcast. Huge fan of that series. And then he says he'll get into his personal origin story when he writes into the show specifically. Looking forward to hearing that, JT. Get on that. Then I want to give a quick shout-out to our friends over at Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill podcast. On the recent episode, Chris is on Infinite Earths, episode number two, they covered Justice League number one, and Chris was nice enough to give us a shout-out. Really appreciate that, Chris. Thanks so much. Okay, now it's time to thank all the folks that were so kind to help promote this show on their social media, whether it be Facebook or Twitter. I know it's a long list of names, folks. However, these people showed their support and promoted the show. And you could be on this list too. All it takes is to go onto Facebook or Twitter and either share or retweet this. And I will be sure to name check you. And you know what? Then you're part of the show and you're part of the family and you're part of a community that is growing. This time out, we've got over 70 names of folks who helped promote this episode. Thank you so much. All right. Let's run through this list names, folks. Our thanks, too. Now, I should say, a lot of the Twitter handles are a little goofy this month because everyone keeps changing things up for Halloween, so here we go. Adam of the Living Dead, Bill Beer, Boosterific.com, Bowling Green State University Batman Conference, Calum Nower. Cash Flag Central Bookhouse Chris Franklin Chris Lewis Clinton Robinson and his Coffee and Comics podcast Creed Stonegate Dale Russell Darren and Ruth Sutherland who I also hung out with at Baltimore Comic Con had a very nice time they also helped promote us on their other social medias R&D Adventures Warlord Worlds and Xenosoic Xenophiles Debbie Rangel Dr. Ange Dr. Jennifer Schwartz Levine Ed Moore Frederico Hernandez Geek Brain Popcast Geeks Gone Wild Digest Jack Rocha. Jared Albrecht, the yard sale artist, whom I had lunch with the other day. Thank you very much. Jay Powers, Jeffrey Brown, Joe Tonello, Jonathan Brown, Justice's First Dawn, Keith G. Baker.
1: Hey, that's me.
0: Shut up, Keith. (laughs) Con L. Christados, Laurel at Mountain Flower One, Longbox Crusade, Longbox of Darkness, Luke Dobb, who I also hung out with at Baltimore Comic Con and had a great time with, M. Anthony Garrado. Mark Lacks, Mark's Mess Podcasts, Martin Kogan, Max Romero, and his accounts, It's Plastic Man and The Mirror Factory. Nathaniel Devon Sanford, Nicholas Allheim, Paul Keen, Randy, The Uncaucasian Alien Invasion, Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Rob Kelly, my podcasting life mate, and his accounts, Digest Cast, Film and Water Podcast, Mashcast, Mountain Comics, Rob Kelly Creative, Superman Movie Minute, Pod Dylan, Treasury Comics, and 43% of all Twitter accounts. Rob Williams and his Generation X-Wing podcast. Rod Pruitt, Scott X, who I also recently met for the first time in Indianapolis and had an awesome time hanging out with him. So nice to meet him. Sean Ross and the Nerdy Dads podcast. Ciscoid, Sphinx Magoo, The Bat Pod, Tim Price, Tim Rooney, Ultra Derotista, Waiting for Doom, Warlock Thanos Podcast, Willie Alborough, and Zeb Oswald. My thanks to all of you for your support of the JLI podcast. Your feedback is such a critical part of the show, folks. And as I say, the community of JLI fans we're building together is fantastic. Now, if I've forgotten or missed anyone, I am terribly sorry. It's probably Andy Leyland's fault. Though he's so British and proper, he'd never admit it. So if I did miss you, please just drop me a note and let me know, and I'll be be sure to include you in the next episode. And please keep those cards and letters coming, folks. You can go to our website. That's the easiest way to leave your comments, Just firewaterpodcast.com slash JLI. Leave your comments on the show post there. Or again, you can find us on Facebook as Justice League International Blah ha ha Podcast, or on Twitter as JLI Podcast, or you can email us at jlipodcast at gmail.com. My thanks again to Andy for helping me cover JLI number 23, and thanks to you listeners for such a great collection of feedback from that episode. Now, we're going to take a quick podcast promo break, and when we come back, well will thankfully get to say goodbye to Keith.
1: Ooh, hey, can I help pick the promos? Yeah, let me do that. Come on, man. No! No!
0: I prowl the rooftops and alleyways at night looking for justice. Blind justice. A guardian devil (coughs) (laughs)
1: oh i don't know why i do that to myself look none of that is true i'm not daredevil marvel's blind lawyer by day and superhero by night i'm j david weeder but you can call me dave i used to read daredevil comics enjoy daredevil comics and talk about daredevil comics and then i kind of stopped well now i'm back with a new version of the old show Daredevil Legends is the show where Daredevil, his allies, and his enemies all get put under a scope, get examined, and get discussed on a weekly basis. It's everything that you once loved in a Daredevil podcast, and much, much more to boot. So join me and Marvel's man without fear and his enemies and allies every Sunday at Daredevilpodcast.com, iTunes, and the podcatcher of your choice. Take the dare at Daredevilpodcast.com, Daredevil Legends, the podcast without fear.
0: Hey, Mike. Shaq, what What are you doing in my house? I, I had a key made, but that's not important. Anyway, I just had a great idea for a trailer for that cute little network you do. The, the Fortress of bailey podcasting network? Yeah, that's the one. It's adorable. I love it. I mean, look at you, like with the network and stuff. Thanks, i I, I think. Anyway, you know how people sometimes advertise something by, like, being extreme and suggesting that you just might die if you don't buy, like, a particular product or something? Yeah, I, I believe those people are called sadists. sadist That's one way you could say it. Or guy with a marketing degree. Kind of the same thing. Anyway, we could record a promo where I ask you something like, Mike, do you know who didn't listen to the Fortress of Bailey 2 Podcasting Network? Who? Oh. Gwen Stacy. Really? You know who else didn't listen to it? Who? Thomas and Martha Wayne. The Waynes. And Uncle Ben, not the Rice. Uncle Ben. And the entire planet of Krypton, except those that survived. What about Bucky or Jason Todd? Ooh, that's genius. Okay, we'll say they didn't listen, and then Superboy Prime punched a wall, and then they listened, and they were brought back to life. I guess we could also say that Aunt May subscribes and unsubscribes all the time.
1: (laughs) I love it. I love it. Now you're catching on. I'm not doing that, Shag. I'm not going to suggest that people will die if they don't listen to the Fortress of Bailey-tude podcasting network, which hosts such shows as From Crisis to Crisis, Overlook Dark Knight, Views from the Long Box, It All Comes Back to Superman, and Bailey's Batman Podcast, and... But they can find the network at www.fortressofbailytude.com.
0: Are you sure? I mean, I do have like a marketing degree and stuff. I'm, I'm pretty smart. No. Can I at least be in the trailer? Yes.
1: The Fortress of bailey podcasting network. The repository of podcasts produced and hosted or co-hosted by Michael Bailey. Head on over to www.fortressofbailytude.com to download the shows directly. You can also find a master feed of all shows by searching for Fortress of Tude Podcasting Network on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher, or you can subscribe to the shows individually. The Fortress of Bailitude podcasting network does not suggest that not listening to any of these shows will prove fatal, nor does it endorse surreptitiously making a key to a friend's house for the purposes of busting in and suggesting ideas for podcast trailers. Music in this trailer by Kevin McLeod.
0: All right, folks, we are back from break, and unfortunately, Keith still appears to be here. Hey. Wonderful. Hey. Well, Keith, my thanks, maybe, for you appearing on this episode of the show. And why don't you tell the folks at home, I know you don't have a podcast of your own, but why don't you tell them uh, some of the places they can find you on the interwebs?
1: Hey, Shag, I don't have a podcast of my own. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, but you're on Twitters as what, Sports and Comics or something like that? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter
1: at KGBUNC. I also have a Twitter, it's at Sports and Comics, which is relatively not used right now. I, I have plans for it in the future, but hit me up on that if you see some something, especially in recent comics because I'm not reading anything that's new. Let me know if you see any DC sports teams.
0: So if you're desperate to talk about the Gotham Blades, there's your guy. So You've also appeared on some podcasts, you've been on some fire and water podcast you've been secret origins you've been on some rolled spine stuff so he's out there he's out on the on the the interwebs folks you can find him kg beast is what we like to call him exactly
1: i'm i'm mainly on the dark webs but
0: yeah oh god (laughs) oh Oh, my gosh all right well keith thanks again for being on the show i sincerely appreciate it buddy we've been friends a long time and hopefully we're going to survive this at the end of this show and still be friends and i really do appreciate you being here i I wouldn't want to do this issue with anyone else buddy exactly like a proctologist. Oh, my gosh. All right. Well, folks, for those of you at home, come back next month when we do something completely different. What? That's right. Over the next two episodes, we're actually going to step sideways and cover some other JLI-related items. In fact, next month, I'm going to be talking about Captain Adams, specifically his own series, and how it relates to the JLI. After that, uh, we'll have another special episode, and then we will begin our monthly coverage of both Justice League America and Justice League Europe will be pulling double duty and doing two issues going forward.
1: You said duty. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Sorry. For that special episode next month, we'll have another guest host to help me cover the topic. Who will it be? Come on, folks, you know how this works. You're gonna have to wait till next month to find out. Thanks for listening, everybody. Until next time, I'm Shag and I'm Keith, and you've been listening to the JLI Podcast. Want to make something of it? it? Thanks for listening, everybody. Until next time, I'm Shag. And I'm Keith. And you've been listening to the JLI podcast. Great Caesar's Ghost. No, no, no. Do your bit. <laughs> Avengers assemble. <laughs> you bastard. Do your bit. It's like training a dog. I'm gonna get a rolled up newspaper in a minute here.
1: It's clobbering time. Oh my god, I just want to go to bed. <laughs>
0: The hoary host of Hogarth. Oh my God, this is gonna go on all night, isn't it? Uh, just say your line. Flame on. <laughs> suffering Sappho. Oh wait, you're supposed to say suffering sardines for Aquaman. No, <laughs> oh, I am Groot. So this is the part where you say
1: Hulk smash.
0: <laughs> you okay, drunk I'm sorry,
1: prick. I, I, I had a whole list. I, I got a whole list to go through. That's pretty much the high point. So I'm I'm ready. Don't call me chief. Oh, my God. It is one more line, and we are done.